like that. You want to try that. Hello, everybody. Welcome that. to like this. Uh, what day is it? Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I apologize for not having a show on Monday, but we'll get to that here in a little bit on why we did not have one. But before we get into everything we want to talk about, let's go over some of the housekeeping items first. First off, let's make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Black is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make, your, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. And check out a few blog posts because we got a new blog post on the Facebook page. You can see it on every single form of social media. But if you don't have social media, you're listening to the show right now, make sure you go to the LoganBlackmanShow.com. You can go into the blog section or scroll down a little bit on the main page or the front page of the website, and you can find our latest blog post, as well as you can check out some other things that are on the website as well. But mainly and most importantly, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's how you know what you're listening to right now. That's how you know what I'm saying at this very moment in time is that, hey, I should be following this. And if you're not sure, you're listening right now, but you're not sure, just make sure you go and double check and leave a rating on a five stars on both of them. It'll be a one-star rating or a five-star rating, but all I ask all I ask is that you leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do, whether that's good or bad rating, whether it's about something in an individual show or the whole show in general, just let me know down below. And now, let's get into the fun stuff today. So the reason why I did not have a show on Mondays because this weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, so remember on Friday's show, we talked about how, like, you... Like, trying to record a show or trying to figure out a way to record a show on Valentine's Day. And then you go like, well, sitting by myself and recording a podcast by myself on Valentine's Day is really depressing. Well, you want to know it's even more depressing than that? Arguably, arguably, I know the whole day of Valentine's Day is going to surround this entire thing. But I think spending an entire weekend, apart from the late hours of the evening, from 7 onwards, 7 p.m. onwards. So you're starting waking up in the morning around 8 or 9. And then working on a mock draft for the entire weekend, apart from the hours of 7 till whenever. That was the only time I did anything this weekend, was the hours of 7 to whenever. I didn't shower until 6.30 in the afternoon, in the evening, on Sunday. That's how depressing of a day or weekend I had this weekend. And it wasn't depressing in the sense like, oh, I enjoy. I didn't enjoy myself. Like, I was hating myself. There was part of me that was hating myself, but... For the most part, I was sitting there, I was like pretty content with what was going on, but if you were just an outsider looking in, or just saw what the state of Logan Blackman was on Sunday, like I talked to my parents for a little bit, my dad called me around noon asking if I wanted to go to lunch, I was like, no, I, I mean I do, but I need to get this stupid thing done, because when you create deadlines for yourself, for things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things you find yourself that extra bit more motivated. And I don't know how that works. I don't understand how the hell that works because I didn't need, there was nobody telling me from above going like, Hey, you need to get this done. Otherwise you're fired. It was kind of this thing where, yeah, Logan, you could do this. You can do this. There's no time frame for you to do it. Just get it done before April 27th, which is the start day of the 2023 NFL draft. But I was like, no, I need, I need to get it done. I need to get it done. Self-motivation, get it done, get it done, get it done. And I did. And I did, but good Lord. And the thing is, I, this might be a little too much information. My mom will not like this very much, but along with not showering until 6.30, I am somebody, and this might be gross. This might be gross to some of you out there. And I would like to preface this by saying I've never had a, ca- never had a cavity in my life. 
I've had a lot of other teeth problems, but not a cavity. So my brushing techniques have worked out for this point in my 25 years of existence on this earth. But I did not brush my teeth until after I was done showering at 6.30, so I didn't brush my teeth about 6.45 on Sunday. I went the entire day. Now, I brush my teeth twice a day, so it's not like I was going in with brushing my teeth in the morning on Saturday than not brushing my teeth Saturday night, so I was going basically a whole like 36-hour period of where I didn't brush my teeth. No, 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 I'm not saying that. It was about a, <laughs> it was about an 18-hour period, which might be gross to some people, and it's kind of gross to me. And, like, to try and, like, I could have I could have brushed my teeth. I could have done it at any freaking time. I could have. But instead of doing that, because I, my mind was telling me, no, look, at that. that would take too much time. That would take too much time. you got to stay focused on this. You can't change your mind off anything else but this. So I'd get, like, a cough drop or something. And then I'm thinking right now that I have gum in the in my cabinet by my refrigerator. So I could have just grabbed that. But instead, no, I went and get a cough drop. And I got a cough drop before I went out to get lunch. And I didn't cook anything all weekend. So I'm like on a very, very, very <laughs> bad state right now. Very bad state right now. And it's only Tuesday. <laughs> this weekend, I ate lunch about 2.30. On Sunday, I ate lunch about 2.30. My parents called me about 11, 30, 12 on Sunday to eat lunch. I didn't eat lunch till 2.30. And before I left my apartment for the first time the entire day, I took a cough drop and then went to Subway. And I was already like in... So when I wake up in the morning, I throw on a sweatshirt, sweatpants, and I got slippers, and I throw on a hat. That's usually what I look like. If you see me in the morning, that's usually what I'll look like, unless I'm at like a hotel or something, because I'm not going to bring everything at a hotel. This is just if I'm, if I'm lounging, that's what I'm going to be wearing. So I had woken up, put that on, and then went to the closet <laughs> to write stuff down and then go to subway to pop in a and co- pop in a cock jeez <laughs> pop in a cough drop in order to not to mask my disgusting odor that's alleviating from my mouth like it i'm sure the recipe didn't smell great either but that was the one thing i could control at that point i guess technically i could have controlled everything but that's whatever we got it done that's all that matters it's all that matters and i showered at the end of the day I went to go play board games. I played board games Saturday night and Sunday night. And both times were not pre-planned. They were talked about the day of. So on Saturday night, I texted a few friends. Because I had a bunch of friends that were up at a wedding up in Sioux City. So I texted some other friends. I was like, hey, you guys want to get a board game night together? So we got some people over. We played code names. I wanted to play Secret Hitler, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And conveniently, they did not have it. They did not have it. Conveniently, it was at my friend's girlfriend's. Mom's house. Conveniently. After he promised me we could play Secret Hitler. Maybe not promised, but he said we could play Secret Hitler. So we played Codenamed instead, which is also fun. And then we played uh, handheld Pac-Man on the little, like, you know, the three-pronged thing that goes in the back of the TV. We were playing that. And then I went home. And we had Domino's Pizza, which if I... This might be controversial. This might be controversial. Domino's sucks ass, okay? I, I, don't, I don't care if you love Domino's. Like my sister... Loves Domino's. But she only gets Domino's conveniently because up in Cedar Falls, there's a Domino's right down the street from all the bars. Domino's is only good if you're plastered. That is the only time it's good. Like, when it it rocked up on Saturday night, it looked like they just stuck it in a microwave. Not an oven. Not an oven. No, 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 no. Like, when you have reheated pizza or leftover pizza, normally you'd stick it in the oven. No, it looked like they stuck this thing in the microwave. And it was somebody's order that they forgot... And they were like, hey, let's just use this one again. 
You know, like in Kitchen Nightmares, they have this thing called Chef Mike in one of the places they go to. I'm pretty sure Chef Mike worked up a master class cooking those pizzas on Saturday night. Now, I wouldn't say Domino's is the worst. Domino's is bad. Domino's is bad. But Pizza Hut's the worst. Now, I would like to say this. Pizza Hut at Target, <laughs> when you get the little to-go pizzas, is goaded. I'm not saying, like, if you're just going out for a pizza. If you want, like, a small, personal-sized pizza, Target, if they still... if there's still targets out there that serve uh, Pizza Hut pizza. That's the best Pizza Hut pizza. But I do not like Pizza Hut in general. That's the bottom. Domino's is not far behind. Domino's is not consistent enough. I remember one time in Cedar Falls, we, because we did, I don't like their pizza, but I'll eat it, especially if it's free. I'll eat it. I'm not going to complain while I'm eating it. I'll complain after on a podcast that I host titled Logan Blyman Show. But a friend and I up at Cedar Falls ordered lava cakes and had them delivered. That's how lazy we were being. Like, Domino's is only good if you're plastered or you're starting to get plastered or on the precipice of that or something. Like, I know a lot of people out there aren't may not be the biggest fans of Papa John's. I think Papa John's takes a massive hot shit. Like, you see Papa John in those commercials, or not commercials, but an interview where he's sweating like freaking crazy because he's eating 40 pizzas in 30 days. He probably hasn't defecated in about, I don't know, three weeks. Like, that's what it, that's, that's what... Papa John's does the Domino's, in my opinion. And that's what Pop, that's what Domino's uses in their pizzas, I would have to guess. But Northern Lights, to me, is the best pizza, because of the breadsticks. But that's a Des Moines thing. I, well, it's an Iowa thing. I don't know. Well, is it a just an Iowa thing? It, I think it's just an Iowa thing. It might just be a Des Moines thing, like like Bebop's or Tasty Tacos or something like that. But, man, I, I'm not a fan of Domino's. I, I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people that like Domino's, and they're conveniently all from college campuses. It's the only people that like Domino's. <laughs> Godfather's is very good, too. Godfather's is very good, too. Casey's Pizza, obviously, is very good. But you got to make sure you get a fresh pizza because they can leave that SOB out in that rotating thing for hours and hours and hours. It's miserable. But you'll still eat it because it's still better than Domino's Pizza. <laughs> but then on Sunday, after I got done doing the mod draft stuff, I went over to my old college roommate's apartment and played board games there. We played... Well, I got I walked in there they're playing Jenga. I did not get the opportunity to play Jenga. So we played Cards Against Humanity, which I almost won, which I almost won, which uh was one of the more interesting Cards Against Humanity games I've ever played. Now, if you know me and have played Cards Against Humanity with me, you know that like there's the the raunchy cards and stuff like that. They're kind of like, "Oh, this will get a nice giggle out of everybody. This will make everybody uncomfortable." Like those cards are fine. I love and this is just me, maybe it's my intelligence level, but maybe, or maturity level or something. But I love the cards that just make absolutely no sense to the card. Like, I was playing with a few friends, like, a year ago. Maybe not a year, maybe not exactly a year ago. But I went up to, no, probably was. We went to play Cards Against Humanity. The date doesn't matter. But we went up to play Cards Against Humanity. And I don't remember what the thing was, but I just threw in a card that said magnets. Like, it made no sense to anything that was being said. But the unexpectedness of magnets getting played won me the round and we're crying laughing about magnets for about a half hour and it's arguably the greatest card i've ever played and it made almost no sense to what the card. i don't remember what the card was i don't remember what the main card was and that was what happened on sunday zach who's been on the show twice before i think he's the the longest recurring guest on the logan blackman show at this point because he's been on with danny he's been on with kevin He's been on twice and he's got to be con- he he demands that he's going to be on a third time because he won our fantasy football league he demands it. So we're going to have him on again at some point. Justin will be on there as well. I don't know if together, but they'll be on there at some point again. And Zach played a card that he didn't understand. 
but it was it just said der club der club like it was <laughs> it was the last card I read it was the last card I read it said der club it was just the club but like in a South Park voice or something like people just being stupid like der club maybe it's something else maybe it's something else and I'm just being stupid I got okay I should Google this okay yeah it's just the club but he played that card. And it caught me so off guard, I almost fell over because I was laughing so hard. It was one of those things where it made absolutely no sense, but it was just perfect to the situation. I couldn't stop laughing, and we kept playing it. But the problem was, Zach was inebriated. I was not. I mean, there was a bet Zach and I made where we had to take a shot if person won a card first. Zach won first, so I had to take a shot. And then I had one beer. That was it. And Zach, it was at his apartment, so he was a little more inebriated than everybody else. Justin was a little inebriated as well because his fiance was going to drive him home. So it was kind of a situation where Zach just kept repeating the club, the club, the club over and over and over and over again. And you don't realize you're doing it when you're drunk. But I was like, man, this got this started off really funny. And the unexpectedness of this card made it so funny. But now that it's getting said over and over and over and over again, the, the funniness level is starting to go down a little bit. And Zach's fiance was starting to realize that too, because she was getting she was getting a little annoyed with Zach. And I could I couldn't do anything. I couldn't tell them, hey, Zach, shut up. It's not funny anymore. Because it was funny. It just wasn't anywhere near as funny as when it first happened. So if you're playing cards against humanity with me, play cards that really make no sense. You gotta like in, in cards against humanity, you gotta know your audience. You gotta know your audience. Sometimes the card might be super good or might make all the sense of the world given the prompt, but if the, if the person reading it doesn't find it funny, you just waste the card. You gotta play to your audience. You gotta play to your strengths. And I usually do pretty well in Cards Against Humanity, which is why Magnets worked. Because I think I was it was I think I was playing with Spencer, Christian, and Preston, or maybe not Preston, but like stuff like that. Like just stupid, stupid cards. Magnets, Declurb, stuff like that will win you Cards Against Humanity if I'm playing with you. Like, there were some cards that I picked that people around me were like, why the hell did you pick that card? It was like, because it made me laugh. It made me chuckle the most. So I picked it. Like, there was some of the card that said Darth Vader. And there was some raunchy card on there. They were all upset. Someone was upset I didn't pick. I was like, well, it, he knew the audience. He played Batman. Or he played Darth Vader. So, yeah. I, I got, And I had six cards. I didn't win the game. Zach ended up winning the game. So the club ended up helping him out in that situation. But, man, this weekend... What a mess. <laughs> I, look, I looked fine and presentable going over to Zach's house. If you saw me on Sunday night, you would not have thought that the dude just showered 10 minutes before he got there. You wouldn't think that, but I did. It both happened. I texted Preston like 2 o'clock. I got a text from Zach about 2 o'clock Sunday about to go play board games. Same thing, both times. It was very, uh, very strange experience, but you know what? It works out. It works out when you don't really have plans. You're sitting in front of your computer all day. And I wonder why I needed glasses. Like, this is a prime example of why my eyesight's deteriorating. Because <laughs> I stare at a computer all day for work. And then I do it when I do stupid mock draft stuff. Now, this mock draft, I wrote in the, the intro of this that said it's the longest post we've ever made. Longest post we ever made. At the time, I thought that. Mostly because I wrote the intro at, like, 1230 at night. Because I got back from Zach's house, or apartment, and I got pulled over by a cop because my headlight was out. And then I got back to my apartment around 11.30, and I made an entire new mantra because I started second-guessing myself, which I am very good at. Very good at second-guessing myself. Very good at overthinking. And I made a whole other mantra. And then I was I sat there about midnight, and I was like, man, I'm going to be so upset if I don't make any changes to this. And I stayed up a half hour, hour longer than I should have. And you got to you know what? 
I didn't make any changes. But I wrote the intro that night. And in the intro, I said that it was the longest longest post we've ever made. Or where where did I write? Yeah. Now this mock draft was a lot of work and currently holds the record for the longest post and draft expert in Logan Blackman Show history. I didn't realize this until today. So February 21st, I did not realize it's not, it's not the case. That's not the case. Last year, for the 2022 NFL draft, our last mock draft, mock draft 5.0, was 76 minutes. 76 minutes. Mock draft 4.0 was 73. Mock draft 3.0 was 71. All three of those mock drafts are longer than mock draft 1.0 for the 2023 NFL draft. By the time when you're super tired, you're already, your eyes hurt, you're just trying to stay awake to try and finish this up, and then, yeah, it's done. But you look at it and you go, oh man, this, that felt so long. That felt so freaking long. How how will I ever top this? And I'm going back even further to find Matras that I did back in the day. Like, Matras 7.0. Jeez, I did a lot of Matras back in the day. 2021. That was 7.0. That was 56 minutes. Then we had 6.0 was 53. 5.0 was 48. Graphics changed a lot over the years. Graphics changed a lot over the years. I don't know which graphics work out the best, but I've tried to get a little bit more comfortable on, on, uh, on Spotify. On which you can listen to Logan Blackman show on podcast and Spotify, but I've tried to get better in Photoshop. I did. I took a Photoshop class essentially up at UNI, and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest class. Like my my parents at one point thought that I could code website. It was a coding class, not a Photoshop class. It was a, fo- a coding class, and I yeah, I'm not good enough to code anything. But before we get into Mock Draft 1.0, I want to take a look at Mock Draft 5.0. I didn't think I was going to do this, but since it is seven minutes longer than Mock Draft 1.0 this time around, let's look at what we had for Mock Draft 5.0. I remember last year, I second-guessed myself a lot. It's again, I do a lot. And this Mock Draft, Mock Draft 5.0 from 2022, was a fun one. was a fun one. We started off super strong. I had Trayvon Walker going first overall. Then I had Aiden Hutchinson going second. And then I had Derek Stingley going third. And everything was going good. Everything was going really, really good. And then fourth overall came. And I was stuck between Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati, and Ike McQuanu from NC State, the tackle from NC State. I remember seeing an article right before the draft, which is where things can either get more silly or things can get more transparent and you know exactly what a team is doing. This was one of the situations where things just got more silly because I saw an article that said the Jets will not pass on a Quanu if he's available. Was the need for corner greater than the need for a tackle? Yes. But Joe Douglas, to that point, I won't believe, drafted a defensive player in the draft. So in the first round, anyways. So I was sitting there like, oh, it'll be it'll be a tackle. And it was Ahmad Gardner, and it ended up working out very well for him. And then you've got Ikem Aquanu who's playing really well for the Carolina Panthers right now. We had Charles Cross going fifth to the Giants, and that one was a little bit, again, coming out of like, oh, the Giants really like the athleticism of Charles Cross, even though Evan Neal, a nat- more natural right tackle, would have been available, and they took him in the seventh pick. I had Neal going sixth of the Panthers. So we had tackles going, but it's all in the wrong spots. Evan Neal being a more natural right tackle made the most sense, and that's what the Jets ended, or the Giants ended up going. We had the Giants then taking Ahmad Gardner at seven, Jermaine Johnson that went to eight to the Falcons, which I was stuck between them and Drake London because I saw Peter King had an article saying that the Falcons really like Drake London, 
but they drafted Kyle Pitts a season before. They just finished dead last in the NFL in sacks. So I was under the influence that, oh, they're going to go on the defensive side. Jermaine Johnson went later in the first round of the Jets, who was in conversations for fourth overall as well, if you listen to reports. And Jermaine Johnson did not go there. And then seven or nine, we had Kayvon Thibodeau going to the Seahawks. They ended up taking Charles Cross. Drake London went to the Jets. We knew London would be the first receiver off the board, but I had him going to the Jets rather than the Falcons. Chris Olave, we had him going to the Commanders at 11. He went 11, just not the Commanders. Then we had Kyle Hamilton going to the Vikings at 12. He would have gone to the Vikings had they not traded back and taken Lewis Seen, traded back with the uh, Detroit Lions who took Jamison Williams. They took Lewis Seen, who didn't play all year due to an injury. I don't remember what injury he had. But I, I just found that, that trade back interesting because you had the best safety available. Lewis Seen's very good. I don't want to make it sound like I'm bashing on Lewis Seen or something. Lewis Seen is a freaking baller when healthy. But Kyle Hamilton was the best safety in the draft, and he passed on. So we'll see if that works out for them in the long term. We had the Texans taking Garrett Wilson, receiver from Ohio State at 13. They ended up taking Kenyon Green, the offensive guard from uh, Texas A&M, who, again, according to reports, what is falling out of the first round due to an e- a knee injury or an undisclosed injury or something. Because I remember Daniel Jeremiah didn't have him in his last mock draft. So I was like, oh, looks like he's not going to go in the first round. We had the Ravens going 14, taking Jordan Davis. This was a situation where the Eagles ended up trading up to take Jordan Davis above Baltimore. Because we didn't, I had Jordan Davis going to Philly and Baltimore. I couldn't pick. And there's no way if Baltimore was available there at 14, we didn't do trades. If Baltimore was there at 14, Jordan Davis was available, he wasn't falling past him. So that's why the Eagles traded up with him. Eagles took Jameson Williams. At 15, we had the Saints taking Trevor Penning, which they did. But at pick 19, instead of 16, they traded up from 16 to 11 to get Chris Olave, the commanders took Jahan Dotson from Ohio State, or Ohio State, Penn State, wide receiver from Penn State here at 16. Then we had Kyrie Elam going to the Chargers at 17. He went to the Bills at 24. Then we had Trent McDuffie going to the Eagles at 18. He went to the Chiefs. Then we had Kenny Pickett going to the Saints at 19. I was stuck between the Saints and Steelers for Kenny Pickett. Same thing. We knew he was going to be the first quarterback, but it was just a matter of where. Malik Willis had him going to the Steelers with Kenny Pickett off the board. Steelers were going to take a quarterback. Made sense for them to go Willis. There was a lot of reports that Tomlin really liked Willis. So there was going to be a talk about that. But he ended up going all the way into the third round of the Titans. Uh, Patriots, we had them taking Quay Walker, linebacker from Georgia. He ended up going one pick later to the Packers. We had them taking Traylon Burks, who went a few picks earlier to the ti- to the freaking Titans, who traded with the Eagles, who sent A.J. Brown to Philly. Then we had Jahan Dotson going to the Cardinals at 23. They actually got a first-round pick, traded this pick, for to Baltimore for Marquise Brown. And then 24 Dallas, we had them taking Tyler Smith, which they did. Then we had the Bills taking Brees Hall. It was more of a one pick. Wanted him so bad. Titans took Zion Johnson at 26. Bucks, we they we had Lewis Seen going 27 to the Bucks. Packers, we had them taking Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah. They ended up taking Quay Walker with their first first round pick, not Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd went a pick later, or a few picks later to the Jaguars. Then we had the Chiefs taking Boye Mafi the edge rusher from Minnesota. Then we had them taking George Pickens, 30th overall. And then Cincinnati taking Logan Hall, the edge rusher from uh, Houston. And then Detroit taking Daxton Hill, the corner safety hybrid from uh, Michigan, who ended up to the freaking Cincinnati Bengals with that pick there at 31. So that mock draft didn't have a lot of success. Didn't have a lot of success. You can see I all I try to put as much reasoning in here as possible so you know what I'm thinking. So if it's that wrong, you can at least go, I could see what you were thinking here. I could see what you were thinking. But sometimes it doesn't work out like that. 
Sometimes you're just very, very wrong, like not having Kenyon Green in this draft, who went up in the first round. Not just first round, top 20 of the first round. Malik Willis going number 20 to Pittsburgh, didn't end up going to the third round, and was the third quarterback selected in the draft. And now we're talking about the Titans possibly taking another quarterback this year, because Malik Willis, though we knew was not ready last year when he got drafted, is more unready than what we originally expected (laughs) from what the reports are saying. With them being linked to Hendon Hooker, which I think would be very interesting to see. Not in the first round, not in the first round, but at some point. Now, with that out of the way, let's take a look at this mock draft, mock draft 1.0. So remember we did a mock draft right before bowl season? I do this every year. I have a mock draft right before bowl season, which is all the teams that missed the playoffs, essentially. It's like a pre-play, it's just pre-bowl season. I guess it's not even a pre-playoffs thing. Because I mean, it technically is, technically is, but it's not because we don't know where all the playoff teams are going. We know which teams are kind of bad. Like if you look at the top five from that draft, from the pre-bowl season draft, which was on December 16th, the top five read Houston 1, Seattle 2, Chicago 3, Detroit 4, and then Philadelphia 5. Then we had Cardinals 6, Colts 7, Raiders 8, Panthers 9, and then the Falcons 10. The only one that stayed pat, stood pat is the Panthers at 9. Everybody else has changed to a certain extent. To a certain extent. And this draft's interesting. It's an interesting draft. You know, you have fun with those first drafts. But now, the official one. The officially official first mock draft of the 2023 draft season. Let's give yourselves a round of applause, everybody. I hope you all checked it out again. You can find it on theloganblattmanshow.com. You can also go on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and find links to it on there as well. So make sure you look out for that. If you want to go check it out, i greatly appreciate it. Without further ado, let's get into it. So this one, we did have trades. I talked about 2022. We did not have any trades for that one. This one, though... With the Chicago Bears being first overall, there's going to be a lot of reports going around about Justin Fields, what his future holds. And he was on part of my take last week. And I could not believe this was actually getting talked about. It infuriated me, and even not even as a Bears fan. I'm not a Bears fan by any stretch of the imagination. And it infuriated me just listening to the people actually take this and run with it. So Justin Fields went on part of my take and talked about how he would like the Bears to build a dome stadium. And people used that to try and say, oh, he's soft, he's not built for Chicago, Chicago trade me, I want to go play in a dome. He's not saying any of that. They actually took it, ran with it, and it said, you know what, yeah, this guy's soft, they got to trade him. For Completely forgetting the fact that he played his college football at Ohio State. I know he started at Georgia, and he's from Georgia. He played at Ohio State. He may not like the cold. No one likes playing in the cold. If they tell you they like playing in the cold, they're lying. They're not, they're not telling the truth. They are not telling the truth. I don't care how tough you think you are, no one likes playing in the cold, especially the wind. And as someone from Iowa, I understand 100% where Justin Fields is coming from about playing in the cold. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. You do it, but it happens. Shit happens. It's harder to play in the cold. Yeah, 100%, Justin. Amen. There's players on the Bills that want a dome stadium. Are they soft? Are they any doubt of Buffalo now? Everyone's like, oh, it's not going to get any warmer in Chicago. It's going to always be cold. Yeah. So? He can want a dome and still want to play in Chicago. The chances of them getting a dome are very slim, but he could still act like, man, I'd like to play in a dome. While also saying that he loves playing for Chicago and he wants to be a bear for life. In the same interview, in the same exact interview, I understand the whole mantra of Justin Fields is not Matt Eberflus or Ryan Poles' guy. I understand that 100%. Because I've been a very big... Um, 
I've talked about that a lot on the show, about how important that connection with head coach, GM, and quarterback is when it comes to the draft. I've talked about that a hundred times. If you, the head coach and GM do not have a connection to said quarterback, the chances of them getting traded go up tenfold. We look at the Jets with Sam Darnold a few years ago. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala had no connection to Sam Darnold. You look at the Carolina Panthers. Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski had no connection with Baker Mayfield. That connection is key when you're a franchise quarterback. You think you're going to be a franchise quarterback. The chance you trade getting traded goes up if those guys get fired. If the GM and head coach that draft you get fired or move on at any point, the chance of you getting traded or cut go up 100%. Like even Josh Rosen. The coach that drafted him is gone. But the coach that came in in Cliff Kingsbury has worked with Kyler Murray in the past. So that already there's an existing connection that's there. So they're going to take Kyler Murray, and Josh Rosen's going to go wherever the hell he goes. He went to the Dolphins, and he went to the Bucks, and he went to the Niners, and he went to the Falcons, Browns, Vikings. Like He went all over the place in the NFL. We made fun of his Twitter account before because he has all these different teams all over his profile. It was like Cardinals or Dolphins profile picture, Cardinals header, and Browns quarterback in his bio. Like, I understand that's important, but Justin Fields, given what the Bears had at his disposal this past year, you're looking at probably, or arguably, one of the worst off to, if not the, I'm not going to say arguably one of the, because we're just going to go arguably the worst off to line in the NFL, and arguably the worst receiving core in the NFL. I like I like uh, Mooney, Darnell Mooney, almost Secretary's Tony. I, lo- I really like Mooney. He's not a number one guy. The fact they traded a second-round pick for Chase Claypool is also stupid as hell. That second-round pick would be very nice right now. be very, very nice right now. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Bears trading back is much more likely than them trading Justin Fields. Justin Fields ran for 1,100 yards this past year. He was just shy of the all-time NFL quarterback rushing record for a single season. The offensive coordinator likes him. They utilized his strengths. Didn't try to make him something he's not. Utilized him to his abilities. He made some great throws this year. Some great throws. Made a really nice throw against the Buffalo Bills. Like, the dude can play. The dude's got an arm. The dude is accurate. The dude can run. And he's big. He's not a small guy. Six foot three, probably 230 pounds. He's a big dude. Physical guy. Like, everything you want in a quarterback for a building block, Justin Fields has that. And if you're going to try and sit here and say a dome is the reason why you're going to trade Justin Fields, because he said in jest and halfway joking that I don't like playing outside then screw you. I knew that would happen. Once I saw that freaking podcast clip, I knew it would happen. Because it's exactly what we talked about last week about this clickbait journalism stuff. Where you just got to create topics out of freaking nowhere so you can keep talking about stuff. They spent... I, I don't usually watch this show. I rarely watch it. But I had nothing else on. I was at my parents' house. My dad was out of town. So I needed... My mom wanted me to come over and hang out with our dog. So I was in the basement, nothing was really on, so I turned on Undisputed and they start talking about it there. Undisputed talks about it for about 20 minutes and the herd with Colin Coward talks about it for an hour. It's like, what? What is the lot? And then the, the other thing that made no sense to me is Colin was talking about it, talking about trading Justin Fields and then, then trading out of the number one overall pick. If you're going to trade Fields, you've got to come out of this with a quarterback. As one of the top ones. Because if you're training Justin Fields, if Justin Fields was in this class, he'd be considered one of the top quarterbacks in this class. So if you trade Fields, you're drafting Young, Stroud, Levis, or Richardson. You're not leaving here without any of them. And the way Colin was talking about it was like, oh, they're going to trade back and take a tackle. Well, who the hell is going to be their quarterback? 
because you're not going to see another quarterback go until probably the third. Maybe Tanner McKee goes in the second. Maybe a team likes Hendon Hooker in his offseason interviews because he's not going to be able to play until about November because that's when he tore his ACL in college. Like you got to come away with a quarterback in this draft class if you trade Justin Fields. You trade Fields and then trade back to get a lineman, that's fine, but you are also got to go on the fact that you're going to suck this year and then hope to God you get Caleb Williams next year or Drake May. That's what the whole thing would be. But I guarantee you, if the Bears traded Justin Fields this year, they would take a quarterback. They wouldn't go with another year without a quarterback. And they'd be getting a first-round pick for Justin Fields because he hasn't reached his potential. And he's a former first-round draft pick. So they'll get a first-round draft pick back for him. He just ran for 1,100 yards. He's not like some random dude. He's not Josh Rosen. Like The dude put up decent numbers this year. Dude was a top-10 MVP finalist. Like The dude can play. He's not going anywhere. I'd be freaking shocked if he did. Let's just put it like that. If he did go somewhere, I'd be shocked. And people are linking him to Atlanta, and people are taking it like, oh, he would fit in Atlanta because he's from Georgia, and they play in a dome. That is the laziest comparison or laziest link I've ever seen. Oh, how would you manage to come up with that one? Huh? Man, Justin Fields would fit great in Atlanta. Oh, why? I wonder why. You could try a little bit harder there. I've seen links with the Carolina Panthers as well. Like, you're getting the Falcons 8 or the Panthers 9 if you trade Justin Fields. Guaranteed. And the Falcons have a lot of other needs at quarterback, and Arthur Blank seems to kind of like Desmond Ritter. And I think the Panthers just draft a quarterback. So your your options are going downhill with this whole we're going to draft a quarter or trade Justin Fields thing. So with that being said... When you're looking at this mock draft and trying to look at the draft in general, it's hard for me to imagine that the Bears would stay pat at four. I don't think there's a chance they stay at one. Okay, there is a chance, but I think it's a small chance. A fraction of a chance that they stay up that number one spot. And if they do stay at one, it's for either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Maybe throwing like Tyree Wilson in the mix. Because I could definitely see Tyree Wilson with his skill set. We've made this comparison before. I think he could be that Trayvon Walker of this draft class. In regards to the guy that is very traits heavy, like he's six foot six, 270, 275 pounds. He can freaking move. Like, he's going to be one of those guys that could definitely see Squeak his way up to the first overall spot. It wouldn't be the quote-unquote sexiest pick of all time going over with a Texas Tech guy over an Alabama or a, or a Georgia guy, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe it's a little bit different offensively, but... I don't know. Maybe that's one of the things they look at there, but I don't think they stay at one. And I think the Colts are the most likely team to trade up because with the Bears, and I've talked about this before, if you're the Chicago Bears, and you have a lot of needs on your roster, I'm gonna, I understand that, but you have a chance to get a, what do you want to call it, a defense-transforming piece with the number one overall pick in the draft. So if you trade out of one, your options are going from 1 to 2 or 1 to 4. I don't think there's a chance they trade back. Okay, I keep doing that. There is a chance. Like, if they go past, like, 9. Like, the Panthers. I've seen people talking about the Titans have asked about the number 1 overall pick. You're going to have to give up a lot of picks to go back to number 11 if you're the Tennessee Titans. Which, I don't know how many picks they hold on to in this draft. But you're going to have to give up a lot. Going from 11 and 1 is not cheap. 
Maybe they you see a trade from them going like from 11 to 6, trade with the Lions, and then trade up to 1. Maybe that's a possibility. But I don't think the Bears would go from 1 to 11 with Jalen Carter, with Will Anderson available there. When you have the first, when you trade back to two or four, you're guaranteed one of them, at least one of them. Why I say that is because you trade back to two, you still got that option. No one's trading up in the draft. The Texans would not trade up in the draft to trade up Anderson or Carter. They're not going to do that. The only reason the Texans would trade up from two to one is if they hear rumors or the Bears play the game that they got played in with the Niners back in 2017 about, hey, there's a team trying to trade up for a quarterback and they're going to jump up for a quarterback. You trade back to four with someone not named the Houston Texans or hypothetically traded to two and then traded back from two to four, you're, again, you're still getting Carter Anderson. You might not get your quote-unquote first pick. You're getting the top two players in the draft at number four. Like, when you know the top two picks in the draft are going to be quarterback, you just need to fall to four. No one's going to trade up with the Cardinals to try and get Anderson or Carter. Unless the Cardinals, like someone else, like the Seahawks, want to trade up to three and draft Anderson or Carter. And the Cardinals are like, oh, perfectly content with going like, oh, we'll take Tyree Wilson or something like that. But I, I've talked about this before. I'm not a fan of interdivisional trades. Never been a fan of that. Especially, unless it's to screw someone over like the Giants, Eagles, and Cowboys did back in 2020. Or 2021, sorry. Where the Giants, the Eagles jumped to the Giants by trading with the Cowboys to draft Devontae Smith. The, Gi- the Cowboys ended up getting Micah Parsons. The Giants drafted a guy at 20 who's not even on their roster anymore in Kadarius Toney. So I think the Bears training back from one to four makes a whole lot of sense from a building your defense back, especially with Matt Eberflus being a defensive guy. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Ryan Poles has a lot of money to work with this offseason. They have the most by like $30 million this offseason in regards to cap space. They have a lot of money. So they can make moves to rebuild the offensive line to get Justin Fields a weapon. And you've got picks in this draft as well where you can get another good wide receiver because this wide receiver class, and we're going to see this for years on end now with all these seven-on-seven camps, like Elite 11 and stuff like that for quarterbacks, but all these receivers, you're going to see a very, not a very wide margin between a first-round guy and a fourth-round guy. Like, receivers right now are the most talented they've ever been in the history of football. I know there's some great, I know like Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, they're older receivers, I understand that, but in the grand scheme of things, like you're looking at wide receivers from all over the freaking country, wide receivers that are going everywhere in the draft, there's not a massive gap at this point because everybody's doing all these workouts. So you're going to be able to get a guy that could potentially turn into a first-rounder in the fourth round, maybe third-rounder. Maybe fourth-rounder's a little rich, but third-rounder at least. This receiver class, it might not be as top-heavy as years past. There's no Drake Londons or Garrett Wilsons. There's no Jamar Chases or Jalen Waddles. There's no... I don't know, go back to 2018 or 20, uh, 2020. There's no, like, Jerry Judys or Henry Ruggs or CeeDee Lambs or Justin Jefferson. There might not be those guys, but there's still good receivers in this draft, and it's going to be deep. It's going to be deep. Might not be top-end guys right now, but it might turn into something later. So the Bears could really trans- transform their team with this draft, and it all could start by trading back and taking either Anderson or, or Carter, depending on where they trade back to, and recurring a second-round pick in the process. Because people want to talk about, oh, the jump from four to one is not very big. It is. It is freaking massive. It might only be three picks. That's a lot. You control the entire draft at number one. The draft starts with you. The commissioner walks up to the podium and says, with the number one overall pick in the draft, 
this team is now on the clock. The, fish, the NFL draft has officially started. That is valuable. You can pick whoever you want. No one is picking before you. The choice is yours. You are picking the person you think is the best player in the draft that works best for your team. Because it might not be the best player in the draft for everybody, but like you see a few years in the past, like you have uh, Leonard Williams going to sixth overall from the Jets, going to the Jets. Best player in the draft falls all the way to six because other teams have other needs. And sometimes it works out like Miles Garrett being the best player in the draft goes first overall. Saquon Barkley, best player in the draft, goes second overall in 2018. Like, it doesn't always happen. Then you got like Nick Bosa, second overall, because the team in front of you need a quarterback. So it's just the best player for your team, given your needs. Might not be the best player overall to everybody, but unless you're the Raiders, then you could pick anybody. Like you could put your hand in a, a hat and draw out a random name. Oh, that's the best player in the draft. Cleveland Furl, fourth overall pick. Here you go. Got Max Crosby. So the, the people forget about Cleveland Furl because we also got Max Crosby in that same draft. And is Cleveland Furl, I don't even know if it's on the roster anymore. I don't know. I could be I could be wrong. Like, don't, make you, don't get me wrong. He was good at Clemson. He was good at Clemson. And um, you could have probably gotten him in your second first round pick <laughs> rather than your fourth overall pick, passing on Josh Allen, not that one. In the process, very smart pick, very wise pick from the Las Vegas Raiders, which is why Gruden and Mayock aren't there anymore. And it sounds like that was a Gruden pick. I refuse to believe Mayock made that pick, but <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Because Mayock made the, the Josh Jacobs pick, so maybe that was, that was like their agreement. Because John Gruden has been very big about not drafting running backs in the first round since he drafted Cadillac Williams in the first round. He's been very big on that. So, yeah, it's a, it's interesting. The draft's interesting, but first overall, we have the Colts trading up with the Bears. And why this makes sense goes back again. Bears can still are still able to pick either Anderson or Carter. That's the big thing here. That's the very big thing. Being able to take one of the top defenders in the draft at one or four is very key. You get more picks for taking the guy you could take at one, three picks later. That works out beautifully. And we have Bryce Young going here. This is not my original thought process for this pick. This was not the original thought process. My initial thought process was that the Colts are going to go trades. I found a quote from Chris Ballard about a month ago. About a month ago. Maybe a little over a month ago. We talked about it on the show. Where Chris Ballard said, give me the guy with the best traits. Now, this could be a situation where the GM overrules the owner. Like, you look down in Jacksonville. Remember last year? Like, we had the owner wanted Hutchinson. Shad Khan wanted Hutchinson. Peterson wanted Aquanu, the tackle from NC State. And Trent Baalke wanted Trayvon Walker. Who did they end up going with at number one? They went Trayvon Walker for his ceiling and his athletic traits, which is something Trent Baalke values over everything. And that's a similar thing to, to Chris Ballard. The difference is between the Colts and the Jaguars, Shad Khan is not really, I mean, we know who he is, but he's not a hands-on control everything owner. That's what Ursay is. Jim Ursay is that. You look at teams like Washington, you look at teams like Dallas, like Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder, when they announce that they're taking over the draft, they're going to move heaven and earth to get the players they want. And I didn't see this clip. If I wasn't at my parents' house Friday watching Colin Coward, so I'm making fun of him earlier for talking about the Justin Fields thing, if I did not watch that day, I would not have seen the clip that said Jim Irsay essentially said he wants Bryce Young. And this could be all a red herring thing because the NFL draft... No one likes to reveal their hand. 
everybody wants everybody to think they're doing something that they're not. The Cleveland Browns saying they wanted Josh Allen first overall was apparently a ruse to try to get the Bills to trade up with them because they knew Buffalo wanted Josh Allen. Instead, they took Baker Mayfield. And no one knew they were taking Baker Mayfield until essentially an hour before the draft, maybe two hours before the draft. Because I released my mock draft about a half hour before the draft, and that's why I had Baker Mayfield going number one. But that's a situation you get in all the time of the draft. The Jaguars, are we taking a Quan? Are we taking Hutchinson? Are we taking Walker? We're taking all these different people. No one wants to reveal what they're doing, especially at the top of the draft. The thing is, and the quote, for, I guess I'll say the quote. Jim Irsay said, uh, uh, that Alabama guy doesn't look bad, I'll tell you. Essentially, in his, weird, in his interesting accent. The thing is, though, I saw this in a Twitter comment section, which is always a great pace, place to find these things. And uh, in the draft, people always want to go oh, play chestnut checkers. Where you're going in, trying to tell people, convince people you're doing something that you're not. Trying to outsmart everybody. And someone said Jim Irsay is more of a checkers player than a chess player. And I kind of agree with that. I don't think Jim Irsay is the guy that tried to mask what he wants. Jim Irsay has been very vocal about wanting a franchise quarterback. They aced Manning. They aced Luck until he retired. And then now they've done a whole quarterback carousel of like five different starters the past five years. In the opening day. And then you look in the middle of the season, they benched Ryan for Ellinger, and then they brought Ryan back, and then played Nick Foles, and then did all this. All of these were Jim Irsay calls. All of these were Irsay calls. Regards of if he wants to tank, if he wants to win, and wants to lose, whatever. All those were Irsay calls. Irsay is extremely hands-on with the Indianapolis Colts. We see him in freaking locker rooms after the game doing some weird chant thing. See him play the guitar with his band, like Jim Do- uh, like Dolan or for the New York Knicks. Like, we got all these different things of Ursay. I think this is, he's just saying, I like Bryce Young. And the way the, the way he said it was the key thing here, too. If you haven't seen the clip, I recommend you go look it up on Twitter or YouTube or something. He leaned into the microphone and looked down. I don't know who was to his left, but he looked down to, I believe, Chris Ballard. <laughs> and I think he was like, hey, Chris, we're drafting Bryce Young. Chris Ballard might be on standing on his top, standing at the podium yelling from the hilltops that, hey, I want Will Levis, and that could be the case, but right now I'm going to go with Bryce Young. He might not fit Chris Ballard's quote-unquote trait thing because he's not very big. He's not very, like, he's not physically imposing. I bet he's like 5'10", 180 right now. He said he was 194 in college, six foot 194. I call bullshit on that. I mean, he could be. He could be, but – the thing with Bryce Young that makes him special is his ability to move. And he, he's smart when he moves. He can run for 1,000 yards in the NFL. He could have rushed for 1,000 yards in college, and he didn't. He's very smart with when he when and where he decides to run. He's very smart of when and where he takes hits. He can take hits in the pocket. He'll stand in the pocket for as long as he can to deliver a strike down the field. He has a freaking rocket arm. I'm not saying it's up there with Levis and Richardson, but he has a really good arm. He can make throws on the move which is very important to today's NFL, especially when you watch like Patrick Mahomes make throws on the move. Like, the only thing I would say about Young, a lot of his throws aren't aligned. That's going to change. And he throws it so freaking hard. But that's just going to come with time. Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this class. So it's one of those things of trades can get you one thing. Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this class. I'm not going to sit here and say there's a monstrous gap between him, Stroud, Levis, and Richardson, but he is the best one. Just watching what he did at Bama. What he did this past year... With an offense at Alabama that was so heavily reliant on him, he still played well. He should have gotten a trip to New York for the Heisman Trophy. He carried the Alabama offense. You saw the game he didn't play against Texas A&M. They almost lost. Probably should have lost to Texas A&M. 
at home. No offense to Mil- Jalen Milrow, but Bryce Young carried that offense this year. Jameer Gibbs, baller. We'll probably see him go late first, early second, especially if he runs a good time at the Combine. But Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this class, and he might not fit what Ballard wants, but hands-on crazy owner Jim Irsay will want Bryce Young. If he wants Bryce Young, he'll take him, and he'll trade up, move heaven and earth to get him. Uh, Number two, Houston. I mean, they're going to draft a quarterback too. So it's a matter of – it's also a matter of the Colts taking guy the Texans might possibly want. I think they want Young. I think they want Young. I think a lot of teams this draft want Bryce Young. I have C.J. Stroud going second. And I think we talked about this last week or two weeks ago or something like that, talking about how him and Deshaun Watson share agents. And that's what kind of, like, turned me off this pick at first. Him and Deshaun Watson share agents. Deshaun Watson's ending time in Houston was not great. Obviously getting traded. Obviously had the whole scandal with the all that. We call it scandal because allegedly. We're not going to incriminate anyone. Not trying to get sued like Pat McAfee is with Brett Favre. Allegedly ended in Houston. I wouldn't see a guy who has shares an agent with that guy going like, yeah, I want to go to Houston. And it possibly might not go to Houston. He might not go to Houston. And Will Levis might be their guy, which I wouldn't be surprised at as well. Will Levis is more traitsy than C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. So I would not be shocked at all if Will Levis went first or second overall above one of these two guys. People will get mad. People will get very mad. But these are the two, if you're just talking about what you saw with the eye test, these are the two best quarterbacks in the draft. If you're just looking based off eye test. Now, there are some concerns with Stroud. I think he looks a little bit flustered when a pocket collapsed around him. You look at the game against Iowa. He didn't look great against Iowa. Iowa put a lot of pressure on him the entire game. He might have put up good numbers, but he did not look like his best. And there was like a, kind of a drop-off to a certain extent in the latter parts of the season until he played Georgia. And then he went supernova. He didn't have a great game against Michigan, and then he had a great, great, great game against Georgia. And that's where a game you saw him use his feet more. And C.J. Stroud is kind of like Joe Burrow in a sense. I think they're not – I'm not sitting here saying they're the same player. But in a sense, they both can run and both don't. It's not that they can't. They can. You saw C.J. Stroud against Northwestern this year in the hurricane in in Evanston, Illinois. Lake Michigan was swirling that day. (laughs) Stroud ran really well in the game against Georgia. He had some massive runs that helped set them up in the potential game-winning field goal. Or game tie. I don't remember what the final score was in that game. I just remember the announcers going like, this kicker's never been rattled in his life and then shanked the field goal, one of the worst game-stealing game field goals I've ever seen. But the thing with Stroud, though he might not be traits, this dude is the most accurate quarterback in this class by, by a decent margin. This dude is precise with his passes. Very precise with his pass. He could throw all over the field easily. He might not have the cannon arm. If we're ranking the top five or six quarterbacks in this draft class, he might have the weakest arm out of all of them. And that's not really sitting here and going like, man, he has no arm talent. He does. It's just the matter of the, everybody else in this class just has a slightly better arm, unless you're like Richardson and Levis and you have a lot better arm. And like Tanner McKee is up there too. But with CJ Stroud going to Houston, why this makes sense, the Texans just hired – Former Texas A&M quarterback and former Minnesota Vikings quarterback coach Gerard Johnson, who I saw in college, my first my first Iowa State game without Iowa involved. It was Iowa State versus Texas A&M. Ryan Tannehill was a wide receiver. Gerard Johnson was that quarterback. Gerard Johnson had been a mentor to Stroud and Young. They're talking about hiring Cliff Kingsbury's an OC, so we'll see if that one actually goes through. So there's some connections there as well, especially with the Bryce Young thing. So Stroud makes sense in that regard. Now, if it's Houston, if his agent steps in and goes, he's not playing here, then he won't play there. 
or Young might or Stroud might go. Oh, I want to play somewhere else. I highly doubt it. Given how Stroud carries himself, I don't think he'd be the kind of guy to force himself out of a situation. I could be wrong, but at this point in time, I don't see that happening. Again, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think it will. And I think Stroud going to Houston would be very fun to see him and Bryce Young battle it out twice a year for the next decade. I think it'd be very, very fun to see. Uh, number three, Willie Anderson going to the Cardinals. They just hired um, Jonathan Gannis or DC, who's looking odd in these <laughs> these preseason meetings, post-hiring meetings and post-hiring talking to players. I don't know who he was talking to. I can't remember who it was. But he was sitting there and was like, pew, 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 pew. Speed, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the weirdest clips I've ever seen. It's so awkward. And maybe that's his thing. Maybe that's his thing. I mean, he was a, a, the defensive coordinator for a team that had 70 sacks last year. So maybe that's his thing. Maybe he's just awkward. Maybe that's just his, his shtick. But it was weird. He's His introduction with Kyler Murray was weird, too. I don't know. He just seems like a weird guy. I've seen people calling him the Michael Scott of the NFL, which it's not far off at this point. But being a defensive guy, we talked about the 70 sacks last year. They're going to want an edge rusher. Uh, the I was stuck between him and Carter for the obvious reasons, but with J.J. Watt leaving or retiring, and he was an edge rusher from the 3-4 stance. He wasn't an edge rusher coming off the like outside linebacker. He was an edge rusher on the D end on a 3-4. So Jalen Carter would make a lot of sense here. And I almost picked Carter, but I just feel like Steichen would want the defensive end, or like the edge rusher, the natural pure edge rusher in Will Anderson, where there's a nice ceiling where Jalen Carter could be as an edge rusher. We know what Will Anderson is as an edge rusher. So it makes sense. But this is where Daniel Jeremiah had Tyree Wilson going to Arizona. And why that makes sense versus Will Anderson is that Tyree Wilson has play or can play in a 3-4 defensive end slot. He's bigger than Will Anderson is. He's got about 40 pounds, maybe 30 pounds on Anderson, and he's got about two inches on him. So he would fit more in that style if they keep the 3-4 defense, if they keep that. Because obviously in Philadelphia, they ran a 4-3. So if they go back to a 4-3 down in Arizona, Will Anderson would make all the sense in the world. But if they stick in a 3-4, Tyree Wilson, if he went to Arizona, that would not surprise me. And we've already talked about the comparisons with Trayvon Walker that we made. We made those comparisons in the past, like in December, but I would not be surprised at all if that happened. But Anderson's the best edge rusher in this class, so it makes sense going to Arizona. Number four, we already talked about the Bears, Jalen Carter. I think even if they were at one or two, if they had both Anderson and Carter available, I think they'd take Carter. When you look at Eberflus and Ryan Poles, look at the place they came from. Ryan Poles came from Kansas City. Eberflus came from Indianapolis. What were their main things on the defense? Chris Jones in Kansas City, DeForest Buckner in Indianapolis. Carter might not be as big as them. He might not be as big as them. But this dude can play. This dude can freaking play. In a defense that had all the stars last year, you look at the Jordan Davises, Quay Walkers, N'Kobe Dean, Lewis Seen, uh, Trayvon Walker, all these different players that were absolute ballers on defense. One of the greatest college defenses of all time. People are saying that Jalen Carter was the best one on this defense. And he was a rotation piece. Like, Jalen Carter's ceiling is ridiculous. And when you look at Ryan Poles, and you look at Matt Eberflus, and this might be could be just me trying to think of a reason for coming up with this kind of stuff like reason behind picks maybe I'm reaching but I think that makes sense edge rusher makes sense too I'm not saying edge rusher wouldn't I mean you traded Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn Robert Quinn in the season Khalil Mack before the season so you haven't needed edge rusher but yes again you have multiple holes in this roster and then you could be one of those things where it's like well would you pass on Nick Bosa for Quinn and Williams because especially at the start of the year Nick Bosa looked like the absolute slam dunk best player Nick Bosa still is the best player 
Not saying that, but Quentin Williams has definitely closed the gap way more than when he first started. Like Quentin Williams, what he got, he found that they had a he had a gun in an airport or something, and then after that, everything kind of went downhill from there, and he kind of struggled all of last year, or last year his rookie year, and gradually worked his way up. Now he's one of the better interior defensive linemen in the NFL, where Bosa's been one of the best edge rushers in football, just won the Defensive Player of the Year. So you could look at it like that, but then you have like Warren Sapp versus Simeon Rice type thing. You could look at it any direction you want, but I think Jalen Carter would fit what. Matt Eberflus wants to do on defense. We have him going to Chicago. Uh, number five, Seattle, Tyra Wilson. Tyra Wilson's not falling out of the top five at this point. I guess if teams trade up for a quarterback, he he might, but I don't think he falls out of the top five. I think he's right. Like He might be a top five player in this draft. I know he's at five here, but that doesn't always mean you're the top five player. I think he might be a top five player in this draft. And his length that we talked about before, we've already talked about J- Tyra Wilson to a certain extent, but Seattle... Pete Carroll said he want, he's putting a lot of importance on making the Seattle Seahawks defense, especially the defensive line, a lot more dynamic. He's wanted to make a more well-rounded defensive line, and I think Tyree Wilson does that. I think with his ability to come off the edge as a pass rusher and be a defensive end in that 3-4 defense, either one works. Either one works. He can play both. So it's not like you're reaching here, which is, again, why he could work in Arizona because of the need at both positions. He would work in Seattle because he can play both of them. His length is key. Like, length and speed are key here, and I think he'd fit perfectly with Seattle. I'm going to try and hurry up a little bit more. So we spent a lot of time talking about the Bears in the first overall pick, but we're going we're gonna to try and speed it up here a little bit. I'm sorry for taking a little longer here. We're only going to pick six out of 31 because the Dolphins forfeited their first-round pick. Uh, speaking of six, uh, Carolina Panthers, you have a trade-up. Get Will Levis. This is one of those things where I remember, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah that said it a while ago. It's usually the first thing you hear in the offseason that's the truth. The first thing that comes out, as you get close to the draft, things start getting sillier and sillier, and things start making stop making sense. I think it was a it was a draft I was watching on like YouTube. It's one of those old drafts. If you go on the NFL Throwback, you can find all of the. It was a 2018 draft. It was a 2018 draft when the Browns took Jay, uh, Denzel Ward. It was that draft because everybody was linking them with uh, Bradley Chubb, who's now part of the Dolphins. But they were like, get the edge rusher Chubb. You could partner him with Garrett. You have a quarterback and edge rusher again the top three positions of the NFL draft are quarterback, edge rusher, and tackle. So with that, drafting Denzel Ward, fourth overall, surprised a lot of people. It was the bigger need, but it wasn't the best position of value, I guess. And that's what he said. Earlier in the offseason, they talked about needing a corner, prioritizing getting a corner with a quarterback. The Carolina Panthers, earlier in the offseason, maybe not even in the offseason, like in December, there was a report that came out and said David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, who, like Jim Irsay, is tired of the quarterback carousel that they've had here, because ever since they cut Cam Newton, they've had P.J. Walker, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Cam Newton again. Like, they're going to try and get their quarterback. And what the thing said was that David Tepper really likes Will Levis, the quarterback of Kentucky. And I think that makes sense. When you look at Frank Reich, who was just hired as the, office, the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and how that fits... You look at Frank Reich and his office coordinator and quarterback days, or office coordinator and uh, head coach days, Carson Wentz was the big quarterback in there. I know he didn't have great success with Carson Wentz in Indianapolis, obviously completely falling apart the last game of the year against the Jaguars, missing the playoffs. But in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate. I'm not saying that Carson Wentz is going to be the guy here. He might. I would not be surprised if Carson Wentz ended up in Carolina in some capacity. And Will Levis compares a lot to Carson Wentz and his athletic ability. I think Carson Wentz 
I don't think Will Levis is worse than Carson Wentz right now. So it'd be a an interesting situation if they were to go out and sign like a Carson Wentz or something like that or a bigger mobile quarterback, something like that. But Will Levis, as we've talked about before, is the most traits-y. Uh, well, I'm not going to say most, but he's one of the most traits-y quarterbacks in this draft. We'll talk about one of the, the, the main one in, the real, in a little bit. But the dude's got a really strong arm. He's a very competitive person. He's a great leader by all accounts. Very tough son of a bitch. Played with a broken foot the entire season, and he missed the senior bowl because of it. Snapped his pinky against um, Ole Miss in the earlier parts of the season last year. Dislocated snap, whatever. It's the same thing. He didn't play in the game against South Carolina. Saw what that meant to them. A lot of Will Levis's interceptions came off drop passes. A lot of passes that were either right through the hands of receivers or off the chest of receivers, landing in the path of the defender. Tennessee game, uh, not great. Tennessee game was not great, and that's where a lot of people are going to point to is like, look at what he did here. And like what we talked about with C.J. Stroud, with Gerard Johnson coming there, the Carolina Panthers hired Josh McCown as their quarterback coach. Josh McCown has also noted that he really likes Will Levis. So the connections just make sense. If Levis doesn't go to Indianapolis or Houston, Carolina is going to be the next spot for him. I think it makes the most sense connection-wise. You look at what Reich's done with quarterbacks like him in the past. You see Josh McCown liking him. David Tepper apparently likes him. He wore blue in college. He wears blue in the NFL. Different shade of blue, but wear blue in the NFL. That's one of those things. I, I think Levis going to Carolina just makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. And he, he would be a guy that would be able to, I don't want to say thrive early, but have, be someone that could be able to weather the storm in a bad situation in Carolina. And I think if they draft well, and bring in the right people in regards to players, they could win the division next year. I wouldn't be too surprised by that. Because this division is going to be a freaking mess. With the Falcons, Panthers, Saints, and Buccaneers, who the hell knows what's going on in that division? The Panthers are almost a playoff team this year. That's how bad bad that division was. So they could potentially get back to that route this year, especially with how even worse the division is going to be. Then you got the Raiders at 7, and I have them taking Richardson. This is a, a Raiders pick. This is just the traditional Raiders pick. Like, if you not a fan of Richardson, I implore you to go watch some of his stuff this past year because he is the most talented quarterback in this draft class. He is the most traitsy quarterback in this draft class. He has the arm talent. He has the size. He has the athletic ability. Everything you're looking for to build a quarterback, that's Anthony Richardson. I saw people comparing him to Jamarcus Russell. He's not Jamarcus Russell. Okay, let's, let's calm the hell down on that one. Let's calm that down. If anything, and I've said this before, I've made this comparison all season, he is Josh Allen of this draft class. People are going to say Levis, but just because (laughs) Richardson is not white does not mean you cannot compare the two. They play the same. They're very similar in regards to what they looked like coming out of college. Like, very traitsy, very raw. Accuracy questions arise, but that can come with time. He's not ready to be a face of a franchise yet, but he's worthy of it, more than worthy of being a top 10 pick in the draft. Like, Anthony Richardson going to the Raiders, again, it just feels like a Raiders pick. When you look at the, the the what do you call it, the the values of the Raiders, what they look for in the draft, with Al Davis, even to a certain extent with Mark Davis, the Raiders want traits. Bigger, faster, stronger at any position. Combine numbers are what the Raiders look for. They want the intangibles. They don't necessarily want you to be what you were, like, they want you to be more than what you were in college. They drafted Darius Hayward Bay in the top 10. They drafted Sebastian Janikowski and Ray Guy, kicker and a punter, two best of their positions, two of the best of their positions, in the first round. Like, they're not afraid of, quote-unquote, reaching on somebody because that's the player they want, and if they want them, they're not going to let anybody else take them. 
And if you have a quarterback you want, and apparently they're intrigued by Anthony Richardson, I would be too. I would be too. Because if they go out and get any of these quarterbacks they're talking about, Garoppolo, Rodgers, whoever, they're not long-term answers there. They're not the long-term answers. They're going to be short and immediate answers, but they're not going to be your long-term answer there. Rodgers is 39 years old. Garoppolo can't stay healthy. So you're going to have to get somebody in there. Like when Steve McNair got drafted by the the Oilers, they brought in a quarterback who was going to be the starter. McNair was not ready to play. They brought in a guy who always got hurt. Always got hurt. So they knew McNair was going to play at some point. That's what Garoppolo would be. He's not going to stay healthy for an entire season. That's borderline guarantee at this point. Sure, he's played a full season a couple times, but it's not something that's going to be sustainable. He might He's worked with Josh McDaniels in the past, so that connection makes a lot of sense. But if you want to build on that, you get a guy like Richardson. This is exactly why McDaniels tried to draft Tebow. But again, or not tried to, did, and talked about how good of a pick it was. Talk about how awesome of a pick Andy, or Tim Tebow was at the time. Like you look at what he said about Tebow. Where is that? He has all the traits you look for. It's a good pick. That's what he said about drafting Tim Tebow 25th overall when it was considered a wide, widely considered a reach. Richardson at 7 is far less of a reach than Tebow at 25. Far less of a reach. Richardson is a better prospect than Tebow was. Tebow is a way better college quarterback. He's one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Won a Heisman. First sophomore to ever win a Heisman. Probably the last person to win a Heisman trophy with a team at four losses. <laughs> Probably the last time that happens. But Richardson to go into Denver. Or to Denver. To Vegas. McDaniel's going to try to outsmart everybody. The Raiders go for traits. Richardson just makes sense. Garoppolo Rogers are not the long-term answers in Vegas. As much as they want to say that they are, they're not the answers long-term in Vegas. Then we got number eight, the Falcons. We have 10 with Keon White from Georgia Tech. D-line, edge rusher, Georgia Tech. He's a freaking beast. He's huge. He's like six foot five, 290 pounds, 286 pounds. He's huge. He can play both as an outside linebacker and as a D-end, and the Falcons need help in both categories. They have finished in the bottom or near the bottom in the NFL in sacks for the better part <laughs> of six years. 2017 was the last time you can find the Atlanta Falcons outside of the bottom half of the NFL. Or last time you can find the Falcons at the top half of the NFL in sacks. They've been in the bottom two the past two years. They have sucked in that category and have failed to address it in any capacity. In any capacity. And it's funny, I didn't even think about this till now. They had the eighth pick back-to-back years, so they'll probably draft a wide receiver here. Because <laughs> it's the Falcons. And they need edge, they need more offensive pieces. They might draft a line off the lineman here. Caleb McGarry's a free agent. They might let him walk. He's coming off a career year. He's gonna want to get paid. So maybe they go out and draft like Broderick Jones here, Georgia guy. But instead, they actually address the defensive line or edge rusher, because he might be big, but he can play in both spots. He's athletic enough to play in both spots. And that versatility is big. I think like Miles Murphy and Lucas Van Ness, they could do the exact same thing Keon White can. But I think being a Georgia prospect, state of Georgia prospect. That helps boost him here. There are times last year at Georgia Tech, like against North Carolina, where he gets double teamed and just fights right through it with relative ease. It's like he's a hot knife through butter with these off the linemen. And the thing is, he played at Georgia Tech. So no one's really going to be sitting there like, man, I gotta, I cannot wait to sit down and watch the next Georgia Tech game. No one said that. I have never met a Georgia Tech fan in my life. I went to William Penn with a few people from Georgia, from Atlanta, which is where Georgia Tech is. No one is a Georgia Tech fan. I liked watching Georgia Tech a few years ago when they had, like, Josh Thomas. Or was it Josh Thomas? Justin Thomas, quarterback number five. I liked watching him then. 
They played Iowa in the Orange Bowl when Ricky Stancy dropped the love it or leave it thing. They played well in spurts against Clemson week one. That scoreline's very unfair to them, 41-10, to 10, very unfair. But no one sits down and watches or wants to watch Georgia Tech. No one does. I mean, somehow they managed to beat two top 25 teams this past year in North Carolina and Pitt. Don't know how that happened. But you they're not good. They're not fun to watch. They stopped running the triple option, so you got all those triple option schools like William Penn, Navy, and Air Army all getting pissed off. They delayed the triple option, got rid of it, after how much success it had in the past. I got to see who their quarterback was, though. When was it, like 2018? Was it 2017? No, I was in high school. I was in high school. This was 2015, 20, 2014. Because we switched our offense right before. Yeah, it was 2014. Because we switched our offense, so I watched a bunch of – it was Justin Thomas. I watched a lot – of Justin Thomas stuff when I was in high school. So I did watch a lot of Georgia because I was trying to get ready for our new offense. And that's where they wrote the Russell jerseys. Fun. <laughs> Rock and Russell. I think they're Adidas now. But uh, from then, no one watches Georgia Tech. So I wouldn't blame you if no one here listening to the show really knew who Keon White was. But I would like you to go watch him because he is very good. Very powerful. Very high motor. And he's someone the Falcons need. And he, li- he went to school right up the street. So go get Keon White. It might seem like a reach now, but it won't be come April. Uh, number nine, Detroit Lions. We have taken Devin Witherspoon. They trade back with the Panthers. They need corner help. Devin Witherspoon's the best corner in the draft. He's not the biggest guy, but he's locked down. He's as locked down as he come. Uh, per pro football focus, 560 of the 738 defensive snaps Witherspoon played in this past fall were in man coverage. Dude does not back down from anybody. He's only 6'1", 190, so he's not like the freak tall guys like Tark Woolen or Sauce Gardner or even like Joey Porter Jr. or Christian Chris Gonzalez, but the dude will just shut you down. He was targeted 63 times last year, just allowed 22 catches for 206 yards with three interceptions and 14 pass breakups. Notice I didn't say any touchdowns. He didn't allow a touchdown. Didn't allow a single touchdown. And you have Aaron Glenn as the defense coordinator, who was not a very big corner in his own right when he played the NFL, I'm sure he would like to see a lot of himself in Devin, Wither- in Devin Witherspoon. This dude is locked down. Lions need help in all facets of defense, and Devin Witherspoon is the player that fits them the best. I think he'd be perfect for Dan Campbell's defense. I think he'd be absolutely perfect. His toughness, competitiveness, and lockdown abilities make him a very intriguing prospect for the Lions. Number 10, the Eagles, Joey Porter Jr. Penn State guy. His dad played for the Steelers, obviously, but Penn State guy, in-state guy. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I think what's, like, the conversation between Porter and, uh, what do you call it, Gonzalez, freaking Porter's arms are ridiculous. I haven't seen a registered length for Christian Gonzalez. Maybe his are longer. I just haven't seen it. Joy Porter Jr. has 35-inch arms. Just to compare, he has got arms that are an inch longer than Rob Gronkowski's, and 35-inch arms is average for off to tackles in the NFL. This dude plays corner. Corner. <laughs> he doesn't play off the line. He doesn't play tight end. He doesn't play wide. He plays freaking corner. Who are you? Who is beating him in a jump ball situation? Nobody. He's already 6'2. He's almost 200 pounds. He's not getting out muscled by anybody. The Eagles are losing James Bradbury. Possibly. He's one to get paid, wants some big-time money this offseason, rightfully so. He had a really good year this year, apart from the you know the insane and gre- egregious holding call he had in the Super Bowl. But you're not losing any height in that. When you have Bradbury 6'1", 190, or 210, sorry, not 190, you're going to not want to lose that height. And I think having somebody like Joey Porter Jr. 
with the 35-inch arms, with that speed, he's wanting to run somewhere in the four three, low four threes, which is would be freaking crazy. He might be the first cornerback off the board when it's all said and done. But right now, we have him going number 10 to Philadelphia. Number 11, Broderick Jones going to the Titans. This is a projection pick. I think Broderick Jones, at in time, will be the first tackle off the board. I think once we get around to April, I think he'll be the first tackle off the board. He is the rawest out of the top three tackles in this draft. And there's the top three, and it's everybody else, essentially. You got Skaronsky from Northwestern, who's a guard-tackle hybrid, who a lot of people think he could play guard. A lot of people think he could play tackle. Similar to the Rashawn Slater conversation that we had back in 2021. Same school, so it works out the same. And then Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State, who has played guard before, played right guard at Ohio State before moving to tackle, and then Brudge Jones. Brudge Jones might not be the biggest tackle out there. He's only 6'4", about 3'10", which is a big dude. And realize, oh, 3'11", sorry. 3'11", 311 pounds. He might not be the biggest dude, but this dude is strong as hell. He might be the strongest tackle in this draft, given his size and everything. Pound for pound might be the strongest tackle in this draft. Didn't allow a single sack last year playing the SEC. The only issue is, and this is where the rawness comes in, he's very aggressive, and that could come in in good and bad ways because when you're really aggressive, it allows you to overshoot, and he could get blown past sometimes. But again, did not allow a single sack. Did not allow a single sack last year. A lot of it happened downfield, like in his run blocking, but the dude can actually throw his uh, – can very much throw his body around – and will lay you out <laughs> in the process. Dude is a wrecking ball. Absolute wrecking ball. Dude's a beast. Dude's a beast. I think he will end up being the first tackle taken, but right now I could see where a lot of people go at Johnson or Skaronsky in this. And with Taylor Lewan probably getting cut this year due to injuries in his contract, they're going to need to tackle. They already had the worst offensive line of football last year, so you're going to have to go out and replenish that, especially if Lewan's leaving. Corner could be an option, I guess. Maybe they want to look for quarterback. Who the hell knows, but Broderick Jones at 11 makes sense for me for the Titans. Number 12, uh, the Houston Texans. We haven't taken Miles Murphy. This is a D'Amico Ryan's pick. So they're getting a quarterback with their first pick. D'Amico Ryan's coming from San Francisco is going to want edge rushers. He's going to want a solid defense. The Texans do not have that at this moment in time. He's definitely going to want to improve on that. And Miles Murphy, like we talked about before with uh, Keon White, his versatility is off the charts. And like, Ty- Ty- geez, like Tyree Wilson... Similar size, about 6'5", 270. He's got a lot of length. That per, The positional versatility to both play inside and outside is very key because he played a lot of inside well at Clemson. And Clemson has been a very nice place for defensive tackles and defensive ends to flourish at the college level. You can see a few of them playing in the NFL right now, namely Dexter Lawrence or Christian Wilkins. And Lawrence was a pro bowler this past year. I don't know about Wilkins. Wilkins is just known for grabbing Josh Allen's dick, but that's about it at this point. But he's still very talented. He's just annoying as hell. And kind of cringy at the same time. But they're going to want to improve their defense. Like we talked about before, quarterback and edge rusher are two of the top positions in the draft. Receiver could be an option. Maybe they reunite Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud in Houston. I wouldn't see why that would be a crazy assumption. But I think it might be a little too early to draft one of the wide receivers this year. And I think if Miles Murphy falls to 12, there's no way Houston passes on him. There's no way. I understand there might be a need at tackle, too, because Laramie Tunsil, I believe, is a free agency, is a free agent. So maybe they want to address that. But I'm fairly confident D'Amico Ryan's going to want to get in that rusher. I'm fairly confident in saying that. So we have him going there. Uh, and Jerry Hughes led the team in sexy 35. You've got you to gotta replace that. Maybe not this year, but just get someone ready to replace it. Jets at 13, Paris Johnson. Mekhi Becton's been hurt for two years. He got hurt in the first game last year and then got hurt this preseason. He, I think he like dislocated his kneecap. He's a freaking monster of a human. He was huge freaking huge coming out of Louisville was drafted 11th overall 
who's Joe Douglas. I believe oh, I should say this. I believe he was Joe Douglas's first pick. I believe that. Joe Douglas being a former offensive lineman makes sense that he wanted to approve the offensive line. They drafted Elijah Vera Tucker in 2021. Or is that, yeah, 2021. They're going to want to keep improving the O-line. And if Becton can't stay healthy, they're going to get tired of waiting and just go out and draft somebody. And that was the rumor last year. That's why we had Ike McQuanu going there at number four. Because they were tired of waiting on Makai Becton. And then he gets hurt before this season starts. Since he's been drafted, he's played 17 games. He got drafted in 2020. Like, it's been two freaking, going on three years in his NFL career, he's played 17 games. With the schedule change, he's now played one full season. But he's missed, (laughs) what? So he missed, 17 games were last year too. So he's missed 33 games out of a possible, quick math, so 16 (laughs) plus 117. So you have 17 plus 33 equals... Ah, uh, crap. I don't know. 50. <laughs> he's missed 50 games. Out of 50 games, he's missed 33 of them. So they're going to get tired of it. They're going to get really tired of it. So going for an offensive tackle here makes sense. Paris Johnson the more prototypical tackle in this draft. Out of the top three guys, most prototypical, Broderick Jones and Peter Skronsky are not the biggest guys. Johnson is six foot six, 310 pounds. Like he fits, or 315 pounds. He fits the mold. He's athletic. He's going to need some things to work on. But overall... He's a very, very good tackle. And will probably, he fits what the Jets are trying. He'd be the more prototypical tackle for the Jets, if that makes sense. If Douglas is wanting to get a tackle to replace Becton, Johnson could be that guy. And I don't know if he still can translate to guard more than Skronsky could, but he has played there before. So it's not out of the question to move him into guard if need be. Uh, 14, the Patriots. I wanted to pick Zay Flowers here so bad. I want Zay Flowers to go here so bad because the Patriots worked with him in the Senior Bowl or Senior Bowl, the, the Shrine Bowl. And they draft players the past however many years, kind of like the Raiders to a certain extent. If they like them, they'll take them. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. They drafted freaking Cole Strange from Chattanooga last year. The freaking Rams thought they were going to get him in the fourth round. So the fact that they took Cole Strange is going to be big here for Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers is a lot more deserving of this spot than Cole Strange was last year, and Cole Strange struggled to a certain extent this past year. But... With the, Ra- the Patriots' offensive line woes, you've got Isaiah Cannon, or not Isaiah Cannon, Marcus Cannon. Sorry, Isaiah Cannon's a basketball player. Marcus Cannon, and then uh, Isaiah Cannon. No, Isaiah Wynn. I was combining the two people. Isaiah Wynn and Marcus Cannon entering free agency. Not to mention Cannon's like 34 years old. And then you've got Trent, Mer- Trent, G- Trent, eh, Trent Brown is <laughs> the other tackle. You've got only two tackles currently on your roster if you're the Patriots. So tackle is a need. And with Bill Belichick drafting a receiver a couple years ago, Nikhil Harry, I'm sure he'd be somebody that would like to address the offensive line more than addressing wide receiver. Because they can get a wide receiver at any point in the draft. Again, there's not a massive gap between the top guys and the like fourth-round guys. There's not a huge gap. There's a gap, but it's not like Grand Canyon-sized gap. Like there's, like there's no Jamar Chase in this draft. There's no whoever the hell you want to look at in this draft. There's not a quote-unquote guaranteed top guy in this draft. Skaronsky, if he falls to 14, I can't see the Patriots passing on him. He can play guard, he can play tackle, he can play whatever. He's the most steady out of all of these guys. Out of Jones, Johnson, and Skaronsky, he's the most steady and consistent out of all of them. And he'll probably fall because his arms aren't very big. And that could, I'm not saying that's a thing that's like something I really worry about, but there's a lot of teams out there that really worry about arm length and that'll cause some players to fall in the draft and he could fall as a result. He's worthy of a top 10 pick, he might end up being the last tackle taken out of the top three. 
Possibly. I think the Patriots would be fine with that. Uh, 15 Packers, Lucas Van Ness, DN Iowa. I toyed with the idea of Mark, uh, Michael Meyer or Dalton Kincaid, the tight ends for Notre Dame and Utah. I toyed with that idea. I toyed with Brian Branch, the corner safety hybrid from Alabama with the likes of, oh crap, Adrian Amos answering free agency. But I think the Packers would love a D end or an edge rusher to partner up with Rashawn Gary once Preston Smith eventually goes. I know Bar- Preston Smith's on a new contract, but Rashawn Gary tore his ACL last year. So who knows what his timetable is coming up this season. So they're going to have a little bit of a hole there. And even then, Lucas Van Ness, this is very big in this D-line class, can play defensive end in a 3-4 if need be. He can play as an edge rusher on an outside linebacker. He can play in a D-end. You can put him pretty much wherever. And he didn't play at Iowa. Or he didn't start at Iowa, I should say. He played. He didn't start at Iowa. So his ceiling and what you can mold him into is going to be very intriguing for a lot, a lot of teams out there. Like, you're going to mold him, like, putty in your hands to a certain extent. We can mold this guy into be any because he has not reached his ceiling, but we've seen what he can do when everything's clicking. Like, this dude is so talented. This dude is so talented. His name's Hercules. And there's a weird connection between the Green Bay Packers and the Iowa Hawkeyes. Like, you look at Brian Balaga, Micah Hyde. You can look at other pieces. Those are the first two that popped in my head. There's going to be other ones, but I can't think 100% think of them at all this moment in time. But there are others. And I think he's the next one that could fit that mold. It is a need. Packers have been addressing defense in the first round recently. Like, you look at Eric Stokes, drafted him at 29 from Georgia a few years ago. Like Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and now you've got Lucas Van Ness. So just keep the trend going, and you've got another edge rusher right there. Jordan Love is in there somewhere, too, but we're not going to talk about Jordan Love. <laughs> Who could be the star of this year? Who could be the star of this year? Uh, number 16, Washington, Christian Gonzalez, corner from Oregon. They need corner help. They need O-line help, but they need corner help. And Christian Gonzalez, the gap between Christian Gonzalez, Joey Porter, and Devin, Devin Witherspoon is not massive. I don't want to make it sound like there's a big gap between 10 and 16. Like, there's not. I just think he's pro- I just think the length and him coming from Philly will boost up Joey Porter Jr. to Philadelphia. But Christian Gonzalez, baller. Absolute baller. Hard-working dude. Transferred to Oregon this past year from Colorado. Balled out against Colorado. Should have had a pick six in the game. Had two interceptions in the game. And then after the Colorado game, with two interceptions, he came back against Washington and led the team in solo tackles. He had seven tackles and total tackles. He had seven total, seven, geez, seven solo tackles and ten total tackles. And a game after he had two interceptions against his former team. Like, this dude is not afraid to get dirty. This dude's not afraid to get hit. This dude's not afraid of anything. And Washington will need someone like that at the cornerback position. Again, odds line will be a big need here. But six two one two oh one, this dude could fit perfectly in Jack Del Rio's defense. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Number seventeen, this could be a reach by Dewan Jones. Offensive tackle going to Ohio from Ohio State going to Pittsburgh. Monster. Absolute monster. Six foot eight, three hundred and fifty nine pounds. Well, also having an eighty nine point five inch wingspan. Longer wingspan than Giannis Antetokounmpo. One of the best players in the NBA right now. One of the best players in the world in basketball right now. And Dewan Jones, an offensive tackle, has a longer wingspan than that. Dewan Jones, based off of what you saw last year, is probably not a first round, not a top 20 pick, I should say that. Might be a first round pick, not tw- top 20 pick. But his size and his speed, for how big he is, he does move really well. For being 6'8", damn near 360 pounds, he can move really, really well. He's very, uh, surprisingly, surprisingly, he's very powerful. And the Steelers need Offensive line health. Like, I remember back when they drafted Najee Harris, a lot of Steelers fans were upset because they had no offensive line. It was one of those things where, yeah, you got a really good running back, but who's going to block for him? You had a whole offensive line exodus 
in one offseason. You had Villanueva leave. You had Filer leave. You had DeCastro leave. You had Pouncey leave. And they did nothing to replace. The only person they brought in that actually was worth his snot was freaking James Daniels, who allowed zero sacks last year. Iowa boy. There's got another one. So they're going to need to address it. You drafted Kenny Pickett last year. You got Najee Harris the year before. You got two really good pieces as back tandem. And I know Kenny Pickett didn't put up like amazing numbers last year, but the dude is very calm. Nothing seems too fast for him, which is key in a rookie quarterback. I know his hands are small, but the dude can play. He can play. It's just a matter of time. Just give him some time. You, he did no off the line last year. Dewan Jones, though again a reach, his traits translate well. And Mike Tomlin was next to him and had an extensive meeting with him. The Steelers have met with Dewan Jones already at the Senior Bowl. So the connection's already there. And the Steelers do not really mince around about who they like and who they're going to draft and who they're going to target. Like, you see all these past few years, Najee Harris, they were not afraid of telling you they liked him. The quarterbacks, Pickett and Willis, they were not afraid about telling you they liked them. You knew they were going to take one of them. And then this year, they like Dewan Jones. They've talked to him a lot. They need tackle help. Could play both right and right and left tackle. Play right tackle at Ohio State would probably start there at least. But yeah, I I don't think this would be a reach. I think it's a reach now. I don't think it's a reach when we go to when we're in April. Don't think it'll be a reach at all then. Uh, number eighteen, the Lions. Brian Bressy, defensive tackle from Clemson. This one is a interesting one because it all depends on if his tests come back good. This dude's been injured to hell and back. Has missed a lot of games due to injuries. So it's just a matter of if all of his tests come out good, all of his tests come out positive. This dude will should this dude has the talent to be a top ten pick. Easily. Easily has the talent. Game wrecker, similar ish like he's someone that Dan Campbell will like. Work rate off the charts. Absolute game wrecker. Has the size you could look for because I to, I toyed with the idea of Kalijah Cancy from Pittsburgh, who's six foot two eighty. That's gonna be a hard sell for a few teams out there as an interior pass rusher. I'm not saying he wouldn't be worth the pick here. I think Kalijah Kansi is very, very good. But Brian Bressy, if all of his tests come back positive, there he should be the pick here for Detroit. I think he's the next best defensive tackle after Jalen Carter. I almost spaced on his name. But I think he fits what the Lions want to do. I think his at work rate and tireless effort will fit well. And I think him and Witherspoon would be very nice picks for the Lions here. Great first round for the Lions. Could be a playoff team. Could be thinking about playoffs next year. Then we got Tampa taking Brian Branch, corner safety hybrid from uh, from Alabama. Todd Bowles, for questions you might have about him as a head coach, the dude is a damn good defensive coordinator. He is a good coordinator. It's just a matter of if you think he's a good head coach or not, which is still we're still trying to figure out. The jury is still out on that one. But what he does on defense, he needs players, and the Bucks are going to be losing a lot of defensive players this offseason. You've got Levante David, Akeem Hicks, Will, William Golston, Sean Murphy, Bunting, among others that could be potentially leaving this offseason. And with Murphy Bunting leaving, that's the one I'm going to focus on here, potentially, he's their nickel corner, to my knowledge. At least last time I checked, he was their nickel corner. Brian Branch can play nickel, can play safety, can play linebacker, can play outside corner, can play really whatever you want. He played in the quote-unquote star position while at Alabama. This dude balls out anywhere you want him to. I think he feels like a Todd Bowles-esque player. I was stuck between them and the Packers for where Brian Branch would go. I don't think he falls out of the top 20. I don't think he falls out of the top 20. Like Carlton Davis and Antoine Winfield Jr. are the only starters currently on the Buccaneers roster in that secondary. So they're going to need some, something. Whether it's a slot corner, whether it's an outside corner, whether it's a safety, Winfield, or Winfield, Branch can play any of those positions. I think he fit really well with what Todd Bowles wants to do on defense. Number 20, this is where we have our first receiver. We have Jordan, Jordan Addison. 
Uh, I like Tyler Lockett a lot. He's helped me in some fancy football seasons recently. He's had four or five straight five thousand, five thousand, four or five straight one thousand yard seasons. But he's getting older now. He's getting a little bit long in the tooth now. I'm not saying he can't continue to have put up really good numbers, but receivers that go over the age of thirty, NFL teams start viewing them a little differently. So there's going to be an option for the Seahawks to take one of the top receivers in the draft, if not the top receiver in the draft, in Jordan Addison. And the thing with Addison that works out in this scenario, he can play in the slot. He can play both in the inside or outside. He didn't put up great numbers this past year at USC, but his last year at Pittsburgh when he won the Blitnikoff Trophy, this dude can play. Don't let his lack of quote-unquote production fool you. He might not be very big, but even those 50-50 opportunities, he doesn't lose a lot of them. He might get outmuscled here and there because he's only like 175 pounds, but the dude can play. He isn't getting a lot of those situations, those 50-50 chances, because he loses defenders before they even have a chance to try and guard him. Like, Jordan Addison would fit in really nice to Seattle, and if they re-sign Geno, which looks like a possibility, a very strong possibility, you have a receiving core of DK, Tyler Lockett, and Jordan Addison, who will eventually replace Lockett with Kenneth Walker in the backfield, with Geno at quarterback with a solid off the line, solid-er off the line. There's a chance to go after, like, Osiris Torrance here, the guard from Florida, or go like John Michael Schmitz, Schmitz from Minnesota in the second round, center from Minnesota, which Austin Blythe leaving makes sense to get a center, but or free agent. I keep saying leaving. They're, they're potentially leaving. But Jordan Addison just makes sense for Seattle. Number 21, charges. Dalton Kincaid, tight end from Utah. Dalton Kincaid's the best receiving tight end in this draft. At least out of the top guys. Top guys. And after having Travis Kelsey dip his nuts in your face for the better part of, what, since 2014? I think it'd be about damn time to get a tight end that could do something similar. The Chargers had a lot of injuries last year at receiver. You had Michael, Mike Williams getting hurt, Keenan Allen getting hurt, and Keenan Allen's a potential cap casualty. But you need some production for the tight end spot. And you look at Kellen Moore coming in, who had a lot of success with Dalton Schultz in Dallas. Dalton Kincaid, similar name, would come in and be that receiving tight end that can make the tight end position a lot more dynamic in Los Angeles. They, I believe they only have one tight end on the roster currently. I believe. I could be wrong about that, but I believe they only have one tight end. Dalton Kincaid would be a really, really, really good option for the Chargers at 21. If he's available, because again, I toyed with the idea of him and Michael Meyer at number 15 to the Packers. So this is if he's available. He could go sooner than this. He could go sooner than this. He might not be the most dominant run blocker now, but that can come with time. This dude has a really high ceiling for the tight end spot, and again, is the best receiver and would fit well with the Chargers want to do. 22, the Ravens. I went a little different here. I went with Jalen Hyatt, because when you look at what Baltimore did last year, Jalen Hyatt might not be the best receiver in this draft, or the second best receiver in this draft class. But Jalen Hyatt, for what he might quote-unquote lack as a receiver to a lot of people, he just won the Bolitnikoff Trophy this year, was the best receiver in college football apart from like Marvin Harrison Jr. He won the award, but that doesn't mean Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't better. But Jalen Hyatt's speed personified. If you've seen Spaceballs, Jalen Hyatt is ludicrous speed. That's what he has. Ludicrous speed, and I looked up the exact definition of ludicrous speed, and I have it written down in here somewhere. I don't when you write 69 LOL minutes of, of words, it's hard to like pinpoint everything you talked about. Oh, here we go. Um, ludicrous speed, which is where during the story, a person will travel at such high speeds that is physically and or psychologically or phys- has a physical and or psychological effect on the person, usually mutation or insanity. This dude can fly. And why I like a lot of people are linked to Quentin Johnston to the Ravens, and rightfully so. Makes sense. Bigger wide receiver, uh, run blocking. I think he could help there as well. But Jalen Hyatt, when you look at the Ravens, they trade Marquise Brown. What did they do? They went out and got Deshaun Jackson. 
Deshaun Jackson, in his prime, was one of the most electrifying receivers in the NFL. And still fast. Like, he can get old. He wasn't as fast as he used to be, but he still had speed. But he's older. He's not going to be a guy that comes back to the roster next year, more than off, more than likely. And the Ravens have some guys that are, quote-unquote, bigger. Like, you got Rashad Bateman. Devin Duvernay, we'll see what he can do this next year. He was a good returner, but we'll see what he can do as an actual receiver. He had spurts. I had him on fantasy for a little bit, and then he got hurt. Jalen Hyatt would be that speed threat. That really big threes. Maybe they think Devin Duvernay could be that speed threat. But if Jalen Hyatt's available, and I think at the combine when he runs, if he runs a 40, which I could see him not because I I could see him going down the route of, I'm so much more than my speed. I want to show off everything else. I could see him doing that, but this dude could absolutely fly. This dude can fly. He's not the biggest guy. He's only six foot 180, but his speed is insane. He's the fastest receiver out of the top guys in this draft. And if the Ravens are looking for speed, which I think they are, Jalen Hyatt makes a lot of sense there. Uh, 23, Minnesota Vikings. We have Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback from Mississippi State. This dude is a – like, you've, if you've seen Drake and Josh before, remember when they're shooting baskets and the ball just keeps hitting Josh in the face and Josh says, my face is a ball magnet? Like, that's what that's what Emmanuel Forbes is. Emmanuel Forbes is just a quote-unquote ball magnet. In his time at Mississippi State, dude had – where is it? 14 interceptions across three-year career. Finishing joint second nationally with six last year. Last year, including – Three pick sixes. Count them three pick sixes. The problem is he's not very big. He's only six foot. He only weighs 180 pounds. So he's as big as Jalen Hyatt. But this dude's competitive as hell. He has really great ball skills. He's very fast. He's very twitchy and very instinctual, which is important if you're not the biggest corner. Like Sauce Gardner can overpower corner or overpower receivers. Manuel Forbes is not going to do that. He's not going to overpower anybody. But when you look at the Vikings' defense, you look at some of the receivers they're playing against, there's not really that big, big physical receiver in this division. Who would that be? Amon Ross St. Brown? But he lines up a lot in the slot. So is he is he going to be guarding Amon Ross St. Brown? Could he be out-muscled by Amon Ross St. Brown? I don't know. Amon Ross St. Brown's not, like, the most physically imposing. He's built, but he's not, like, six foot five or something. He's only about six foot six one. Is that your physical thing, Chase Claypool? Chase Claypool ain't going to out-muscle anybody. So I don't really have an issue with that. I, I toured with like Deontay Banks from Maryland here. Keely Ringo, I think, could be pushing up here because of the fact he's going to run fast at the combine. He's got the size. He's got the intangibles. He's just raw. But with Brian Flores here, I think you'd have someone with Emmanuel Forbes that he could just have ready. I think Emmanuel Forbes is just that ball, the skill ability to find the ball and just be where the ball is going in an instant is key on why he goes this high. And when you have a defense that sucked major ass and let Daniel Jones go for 378 yards, 79 yards, and inflated his ego to think he's a $45 million quarterback, you need to have problems, which is why they went after Brian Flores, which is why they're going to have to go over a defender in this draft. I understand receiver's going to be a big need, but getting someone like Emmanuel Forbes, Deontay Banks, or Keely Ringo, or Tyreek Stevenson from Miami, would be, or Cam Smith from South Carolina, will be big in regards to improving the Vikings' defense, especially with an aging Patrick Peterson. I know they drafted Andrew Booth last year and Lewis Seen, which you mentioned before, but both ended on IR. Patrick Peterson's old as hell, and Cam Dantzler, and I've got a lot of Vikings friends. They are tired of seeing Cam Dantzler. Very tired of it. And Emmanuel Forbes going to Mississippi State might scare some people because Cam Dantzler went to Mississippi State. But this dude is really good. He's better than Cam Dantzler was coming out of college. Emmanuel Forbes would be a great pick for the Vikings. In my opinion, I made the pick. <laughs> 24, the, the Jaguars, Michael Meyer, tight end from Notre Dame. This one is interesting because there's a chance they bring back Evan Ingram, but why this pick works, even if they bring Ingram back, they're two different tight ends. 
Michael Meyer can line up in the slot, but he's a lot of an inline tight end. He lines up on the line of scrimmage a lot. His nickname is Baby Gronk. He can dominate in the run game. He's, sol- he's very solid in the pass game. He holds a lot of Notre Dame records for receivers by a tight end. He was a consensus All-American the fir- at tight end at Notre Dame. First one to do that since like 1976 or something like that. Do I have the number on here? Oh, I was 76. Nice, 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 nice. This dude's a baller. This dude's an absolute baller. He wears 87, which also helped with the nickname Baby Gronk. But this dude's really good. And you have the receiving tight end in Evan Ingram, and you have the blocking tight end. I, I say blocking like he's not a good receiver. He's a very good receiver. But blocking is his main thing, especially when you wear 87 and call Baby Gronk. You're going to be called, You're going to be known for your blocking. Like, Gronk is an elite wide receiver at the tight end position, but everybody knows how physical a blocker he was. Like, George Kittle, same thing. George Kittle, elite blocker. The best run blocker in the NFL is a tight end. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. And Michael Meyer could be that guy. And I think he'd fit in really, really well with the Jacksonville Jaguars and what they want to do on offense. Defense could be an option here. They're going to need some defensive line help, maybe get another corner, but I think Michael Meyer would be perfect here if he survives this long. Uh, 25, New York Giants, say Flowers. Again, I, I toyed with him going to New England at 14. I toyed with that idea. But ultimately, it went with the linemen. But the Giants need help with receiver. Giants need a lot of help with receiver. Now, there are some talks of Saquon Barkley leaving in free agency because of Daniel Jones' contract demands. So, maybe, maybe B. John Robinson is an option here, the running back from Texas. Maybe that's an option. Joe Shane was a part of the Buffalo Bills who drafted three running backs the past three years. So, maybe that's an option. But Zay Flowers, his numbers might not be eye-popping or anything. And he played at Boston College. It's a similar situation to that Keon White. He played at a smaller school that no one's really going to watch. Everybody thinks that's more of a blow-over game. There's a few years, you know, like Georgia Tech and Boston College, they, they have a decent team like every five years or every ten years or something like that. But uh, this past year wasn't one of them. This past year wasn't one of them. And Zay Flowers is one of the few bright spots of this team. And he's not the biggest guy either. He's the smallest receiver out of these guys. He's 5'10", 175. But at that size, he forced 25 tackle, forced 25 missed tackles this past year. He had 503 yards after the catch this past season. And when you're the Giants and you have Daniel Jones, you're talking about extending him, whatever that number is going to be. And sure as hell shouldn't be 45 mil a year. But you have receiving questions. Who, like the Bears we talked about earlier, might have one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL, if not the worst receiving core in the NFL. Kenny Galladay and his 81 yards are not going to be there next year. Like, Isaiah Hodgins, good option. You re-signed him, you got him to an extension. We'll see how he does next year. He was the best receiver on the Giants last year, and he played, what, 10 games total, and that's two including the playoffs? So there's options. But Zay Flowers, I think, being from Boston, or playing in Boston College, being in the cold weather up there, I think that connection, that territorial connection would make sense there by him going to the Giants at 25. And would be higher if he was bigger. If he was a little bit taller... He, no doubt he'd be the top receiver off the board, which is why I almost had him at 14. Just other teams, other needs fit more with flower, than Flowers. So he has to go to third wide receiver in this draft. Uh, number 26, Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver from Ohio State going to the Cowboys. He's from Dallas. He grew up 48 minutes from the Cowboys stadium. Like this dude is, this is a guy that grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. And Jerry Jones, like Des Bryant, grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. Des Bryant dropped a little bit in the draft. Jackson Smith and Jigba did not play last year. If he played we'd be talking about this completely differently, and we'd be guaranteeing him going to Houston at 12 or talking about guaranteed top 10 pick. Like, if he's healthy and playing, he's the best receiver in this draft. Problem is we haven't seen him play in two years. And a lot of people are going to point out that he's only a slot receiver. Only. Where all these other guys that we talked about that can play slot, 
an Appalachian slot, like Hyatt's more of a slot guy. Addison and Flowers can play slot. Flowers is a little more of a slot guy than Addison, but they can play slot. Last year, when Jack Smith and Jigba led the Buckeyes receiving with the likes of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, all but eight of his catches were from the slot. All but eight of his catches. To put that in perspective, he had 90, what, 95 catches last year. Eight of them were from outside the slot. We were going to see him more outside this year, but he got hurt in week one and then tried to come back a couple times. He played three games this year and barely played in those three games. So we're, we're everybody's going to be like, what, Jackson Smith, the Jigba's going to come back. And if it was like a freak injury, that'd be something. It's a hamstring injury. For a position that runs and is more is known for their cuts, having a bad hamstring is not really something that a lot of teams are going to pander for earlier in the draft. He's a He should get, be a guaranteed first-round draft pick. If he was healthy and played a whole year, we'd be talking about a guaranteed first receiver off the board. Guaranteed. I think there's still a chance he does. You look at Houston, they drafted Derek Stingley last year, third overall. He didn't play. He was sat out for like two years. He had injuries, and he got hurt this year. So the Texans at, te- at 12 would be the high point for that. I think that Jackson and the Jigba to Houston makes a lot of sense, especially if they draft Stroud. But, man... Jackson Smith and Jigba is a baller, and I think if, Houston, if he falls this far, there ain't no way Jerry's passing on him. Now, again, there's going to be some questions regarding the Cowboys situation with the whole Zeke Elliott thing. If he gets cut or not, maybe B. John Robinson comes in here, being a Texas guy as well. Maybe Drew Sanders at linebacker makes a lot of sense. I really struggled when I first thought about this. It was between Jigba and Sanders. I toyed with that idea a thousand times. Ended up going with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Robinson, I kind of thought about, but ended up having to go later. But if Jack Smith and Jig was available, he should be the pick for Dallas. No question. Number 27, the Bills taking Osiris Torrance, lineman for Florida. Bills need line help. Plain and simple. I think receiver be an option here, especially if like Zay Flowers is available. I think I saw this on Twitter. A lot of Bills fans would be upset if the Bills passed on Flowers here. But they need line help. And when you look at what Brandon Bean has drafted over his time in Buffalo with top picks, you look at Josh Allen. You look at Tremaine Edmonds. You look at Greg Rousseau. You look at who they drafted last year, Kyrie Elam. You look at all these different things. One thing that stands out completely out of all those things is that they are very long, lengthy, athletic dudes. Osiris Torrance might not be like have insane length like Edmonds or Elam or Rousseau, but this dude's a freaking freak in regards to his size. At guard, he's six foot five, three hundred forty-six pounds. To my knowledge, he's the second heaviest lineman in this draft after Dewan Jones. And I think Dewan Jones would be an option here in Buffalo because of the whole length thing too, if he's available. If he's not, then we're not even going to have a conversation. If he's not available, then why talk about it? But they need guard help. Guard help is the big thing. Roger Saffold came in from Tennessee this offseason, looked good in the first game and the first two games. But then once the season goes, goes on, you're like, wow, they really blew out this team. Saffold looked really good. And then he realized, wow, those Titans and Rams really freaking suck. <laughs> They're just really bad. So they're going to replace him. Ryan Bates will go back to left guard this year. I don't think they'll replace Spencer Brown at tackle yet. I don't think Spencer Brown had covered himself in glory this year, being a UNI Panther myself. Being in a class with Spencer Brown, I want him to succeed. But he didn't cover himself in glory this year. But I don't think the Bills are going to move on from him. I think they'd sign someone in free agency to push him, not Scott Questenberry, someone better. So we'll see if that pushed him a little bit more this year. To be fair to him as well, he had back surgery in the offseason, didn't have full time to recover, and then played this year. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. 
But if like a Dewan Jones is there, I would think the Bills would have a conversation about it. Antoine Harris, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma would also be an option here. But the Bills' biggest need on this entire team's guard. So Osiris Torrance, if he's available, makes the most sense. I can see him going John Michael Smoltz here or Steve Avila from TCU. I think those are options there as well. Uh, 28 Cincinnati, Darnell Washington, they need tight end help. They're losing Hayden. I think all three of their tight ends are hitting free agency this offseason. These are top three guys. I think they have one currently on the roster named Luke Farrell, I think. Not the pitcher. Not the Cubs pitcher. This is another tight end. They're going to need some help here. I think Darnell Washington fits that big tight end thing the Bengals have. And with the Bengals, with them, their rushing attack this year, it wasn't great. Joe Mixon might be a cap casualty, but Samaji P. Ryan's there. Solid enough running back. You can get one later, or they could go with Bijan Robinson here. But to improve their run game, their old line wasn't great. It was better. It wasn't great. But having a tight end like Darnell Washington, who's six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds essentially, two hundred seventy pounds, you have him in the run game, and you have him as a guaranteed red zone target. He's your number one red zone target. He's your first read on red zone targets. He's in, impossible to guard because he's super athletic as well. It's not that he's just big for the sake of being big. He's athletic. He can move. He can do all the things you're looking for in a tight end position. He's just a freaking monster. And if he's available, which I I'm pretty confident he will be. The Bengals should take him here. I think you'd look at Luke Musgrave from Oregon State here as well, another big tight end, but he's more of a receiving guy. Darnell Washington wouldn't help improve the Bengals' run game, which I think they're going to need going into next season. The Bengals are a very talented team. Very talented team. And Darnell Washington would definitely help improve that team. Offensive line is going to be a question. you got D-line, the corner is going to be questions, but I think Washington would be a, just a freak athlete to go there. Uh, 29 Saints, uh, we talked about this last show. Talking about the Broncos got the pick from the Dolphins, who got it from the Niners, now have the Saints, the Saints now pick it. Uh, we have Kalijah Kansi, D-tackle from from Pittsburgh. <coughs> the Saints are losing their top four defensive tackles this offseason. Potentially. I, I keep doing that. Potentially losing their top four tackles, defense tackles this offseason. So you're going to need options there. Kalijah Kansi, again, not the biggest guy in the world. Six foot tall, 280 pounds. Big guy in regards to the like general population, but in regards to NFL... He's not the biggest guy out there. People are going to make the comparisons to Aaron Donald because he's from Pittsburgh. He's not very big. He's really fast. He's not Aaron Donald. He is good, but I don't want to put any unnecessary pressure on him calling him Aaron Donald, and he's not Aaron Donald to begin with anyways. He's good. He's just not Aaron Donald, which I don't think is insane to say because Aaron Donald's the greatest defensive tackle of all time. So it's not very something. It's not something of me to go, man, this guy is not Aaron Donald. This guy stinks. This is stupid. <laughs> But Kansi would definitely help improve the Saints' pastures. I don't understand this team, though. They're negative $5,000 million in the cap every freaking year. Second to last in the NFL this year in cap space, right above the their division rival Bucks, And yet they're still going to be not bad enough to tank and not good enough to challenge for anything. They're going to be right in football purgatory like they always are. And Kalijah Kansi would hopefully help improve that. So it'll be fun to see where this all goes, but I think Kansi to their... With Dennis Allen being a defensive guy, I think, it, oh, I should say that because now I'm questioning it. Dennis Allen is a defensive guy, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I believe he is, but I'm not confident. <laughs> I said that, and it's one of those things where I'm confident that I he, I know it, but I'm questioning it. I'm very much questioning it. Yeah, okay, he was okay. He was a defensive guy. I was like 99% sure. It was one of those things on like a test where you have to like double check if one plus one equals two still, just to make sure. It was one of those things. But I think he would love a guy like Kalejah Kansi. Number 30, the Eagles, Bijan Robinson. 
Miles Sanders had a career year, but he's I I don't I wouldn't re-sign him. I think there's a lot of things he can do that can be improved on. I think Bijan Robinson being quote unquote the best running back prospect since Brees Hall or Brees Hall since uh Saquon Barkley is big. You're in a division with Saquon Barkley, but with how the NFL views running backs nowadays, he's more likely to go the second last pick in the first round than the second pick in the first round. Which is sad, because he deserves the money that he'd be getting up there, because he's the most talented back in the draft. Him and Jameer Gibbs are clear of the top, everybody else, essentially, and he's clear of Jameer Gibbs at this point. But the Eagles are potentially losing Miles Sanders. I believe Kenneth Gainwell's a free agent, or Boston Scott, one of those two's a free agent. So they're going to need to improve or get somebody into the running back spot. They could go with, like, an edge rusher, DN, or D lineman here after they got corner, because defense is going to be losing a lot of people. But I think the value is too great. I think the value is too great. I think Bijan Robinson being available here at 30 is insane. I think the Eagles, with how they run the ball, like they are a running team. They have they have home run hitters in AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, but they are a running team at heart. And you get a guy like Bijan Robinson, you're set. You're set. Like this dude's a freaking baller. So I would take him if I'm the Eagles, if he's available. And then finally, the Chiefs at 31, we have to take a Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee. The Chiefs do a really good job. Is a testament to Brett Veach, one of the best GMs in the NFL. When they have a position of need, they very much attack that position. Like, you look after they lost the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when their offensive line was completely exposed with Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz all injured. They made moves. They brought in a bunch of people to make moves to try to re-improve the offensive line. They brought in Joe Tooney from free agency. They added Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith in the draft, and they traded for Orlando Brown. All in the same offseason. All in the same offseason. You lose Tyreek Hill this year. You bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Stantley in free agency. You bring in Sky Moore to the draft. You trade for Kadarius Tony in season. Like, they do a really good job at seeing a position of potential need and then addressing it tenfold. And this year, that position's tackle. You have Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley free, are free agents this offseason. One of them is coming back. One of them will not. I don't know which one's which, but one of those guys is leaving. And if I had to bet money on who's leaving, I'd better be Andrew Wiley. Because Orlando Brown, you cannot find a lot of top-tier tackles like Orlando Brown. So I would imagine they'd bring him back. So that would open up the hole at right tackle, with Andrew Wiley possibly leaving. Darnell Wright is a natural right tackle. He played right tackle at Tennessee, balled out at Tennessee this past year. Very physical guy. Like DeWan Jones, very physical guy. He's not as big as DeWan Jones, which isn't saying a lot. He's still six foot six, 335 pounds. He's big. He's very calm, though. He's very calm in the passing game. He sets up well. He doesn't back down from literally anybody. Against Alabama, he went head-on every single time with Will Anderson. Every single time. Does not back down from anybody. But that being said, with him not backing down from anybody, that can kind of um, what do you open him up to or be susceptible to opening himself up because he's trying to establish contact first. Then he could overreach a little bit. That's one of the quote-unquote issues with Darnell White. And I don't even think that's an issue because I could get coached out of him. But if he's available, which I think he will be, and the Chiefs possibly losing a right tackle, Patrick Mahomes getting hurt, I understand he was out of the pocket. Well, no, he wasn't. No, it wasn't. He got sacked in the pocket and twisted his ankle. But you're going to want to improve the offensive line. Edge rusher will be an option here. Edge rusher will be a big option. you got, like, Zach Harrison from Ohio State, the big D end that Kansas City typically likes. That's where, like, Keon White, if he's available, will be a perfect option here for Kansas City. Then you've got, like, Will, and McDon- will McDonald from Iowa State, B.J. Ojolari. Nolan Smith from Georgia, uh, Derek Hall from Auburn. Like, you've got options at DN. Andre Carter, lengthy guy from Army. You could fit him there. 
but I think they're going to want to address off the line. And they're going to want to address off the line. Receiver could be an option here as well, but I don't see them going for receiver if those speed guys are off the board like Hyatt and Flowers. I don't Then I don't see them going after receiver. But Darnell White, I think, makes a lot of sense for them. So that is my first round. I apologize to the likes of Jameer Gibbs, Quentin Johnston, who was a hard one not to leave out, or a hard one to leave out. But there's a lot of people that are seemingly falling, quote-unquote, out of love with Quentin Johnston, who's the most physically gifted receiver in this draft class. But there are some things like his 50-50 ball percentage winning is not great for someone as big and as athletic as he is. That can be kind of concerning, and he's a chest catcher, which is another thing that's kind of concerning. So we'll see if he falls in the first round or not. Ravens would make sense. I think he's a first-round talent, but I see teams, people talking about social media, talking about how teams are, quote-unquote, falling out of love with them. Luke Musgrave from Oregon State, Antoine Harrison, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, Cody Motch from North Dakota State, John Michael Schmitz, Minnesota, Sakai Ika from Baylor, Mozzie Smith from Michigan, Tui Pelotu from USC, Derek Hall from Auburn, Will McDonald from Iowa State, B.J. Ozolari from LSU, Nolan Smith from Georgia, Drew Sanders from Arkansas, Trenton Simpson from Clemson, Deontay Banks from Maryland, Keely Ringo from Georgia, Cam Smith from South Carolina, Tyreek Stevenson from Miami, and last but not least, Antonio Johnson, safety from Texas A&M. And that's our mock draft. That is our 2023 mock draft 1.0 recap of the first round. We had the Colts trading up with the Bears to get Bryce Young first overall. Then we had C.J. Stroud going second to the Texans at two. Will Anderson going to the Cardinals at three. Jalen Carter going to the Bears at four, even though he probably would have gone there at one-two. Seattle Seahawks taking Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech at five. Carolina trading up with Detroit to take Will Levis out of Kentucky. Las Vegas taking Anthony Richardson from Florida at seven. Falcons at eight take Keon White. Lions after trading back take Tevin Witherspoon. Uh, Eagles take Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback from Penn State with the Saints pick. Broderick Jones goes to the Titans at 11. We got the Texans taking Miles Murphy from Clemson at 12. Paris Johnson and Peter Skronsky go back to back to the Jets and Patriots at 13 and 14. Then we got Lucas Van Ness taking the pack, going to the Packers at 15 to keep that Iowa connection alive. Then we got Christian Gonzalez going to the Washington Commanders at 16 with Dewan Jones, the big freakazoid tackle with a wingspan longer than Giannis's, going 17 to the Steelers. We have Brian Bressy going to the Lions at 18. Brian Branch, the corner safety hybrid from Alabama, going to the Bucks at 19. Then we have Jordan Addison going to the Seahawks at 20. Dalton Kincaid going to the Chargers at 21. Jalen Hyatt, the speedster from Tennessee, going to the Ravens at 22. Manuel Forbes, the corner from Mississippi State, going to the Vikings at 23. With Michael Meyer, the tight end, not the, not the actor, not the actor, going to the Jaguars at 24. We have the Giants taking Zay Flowers at 25, the wide receiver from Boston College. Giant, the Cowboys... Go Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State at 26. Bills go Osiris Torrance from Florida at 27. Darnell Washington goes to the Bengals at 28. We have Kalijah Kansi from Pittsburgh going to the Saints at 29. Bijan Robinson going to the Eagles at 30. And finally, Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee, going to the Chiefs at 31. Reminder, you can check out all these blog posts, this blog post, and more on the LoganBlattmanShow.com. You can check it out on all forums, social media that we gave before. And I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. You can read through that. About the same time I read through that, I, I know I I know where I'm coming from with most of those picks, so I, I <laughs> it probably took a little bit longer for me to get it out, but that's it. That's it. I saw something, though, that said the Cowboys are intrigued by C.J. Stroud. Oh, no shit. I think everybody's intrigued by Stroud and Young, so I, <laughs> they didn't really need to report that. I'm intrigued about Deontay, Devontae Adams going to Buffalo. Doesn't mean I can do anything about it. <laughs> then we got the Giants. Uh, the complicated part with quarterback like Daniel Jones, there's no middle tier to pay quarterbacks, and that's true. Sucks. That is sucks. Asked for forty five million, meant to ask for four two five million, but instead of four, but instead they heard forty five. 
but team execs had trouble hearing him over Brian Dable loudly eating his fettuccine Alfredo during a meeting. <laughs> and speaking of pasta, and speaking of food, I'm going to sign off here and get my dinner ready. I got some uh, hamburger meat thawing out right now, so we're going to make some. I, I'm not going to make sloppy joes, but we'll, we'll make some with it. Make some. My parents got 800 pounds worth of beef at home. We got a little come-and-go freezer in the basement with all this meat in it. So I got a bunch of it, so I, I'm thawing some out. Well, it's already thawed out. I thawed it out last night, so I've got it all ready to go. And now we're going to dig in. So I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. We'll try to be better. I don't think I have anything else I really want to touch on today. Just looking at whatever I can to see if I got everything right. And I think I did. I think I did. We are going to go over Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, but it's not, like, egregious by any means, so I don't really – it's not really something that's chapping my khakis or something or, like, man, that 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 is a stupid pick right there. That is a dumb pick. I can understand to a certain extent where a lot of these players go. Maybe he is a little bit of a downturn on some of these players. Maybe he's a little bit higher on some, but you can go check that out for yourself. The XFL was this past weekend. I watched the end of the St. Louis Battlehawks for San Antonio Brahma's game, and it was freaking ridiculous. Like, that's the best way I can describe it. And I text my dad because I don't really remember how I explained it to him. Because I took a break from watching or from torturing myself doing the mock draft. And I texted him. I said, St. Louis was down 12, like two minutes left, and scored a touchdown on a three-point conver- – scored, then scored a three-point play on a conversion down by three to be down by three, then converted a fourth and 15 instead of kicking an onside kick to get the ball back, and score a touchdown with 10 seconds left to win. A minute left. A minute and a half, two minutes left. And they come back and win the game. They were down <laughs> a lot. An insurmountable lead for most games, but they did it. AJ McCarron, you had Austin Prohl, Bills Legends, hooking up for that. Hakeem Butler, former Iowa State Cyclone in there. Shame former Johnston Legend, the greatest high school quarterback of all time, Reed Sinnott, couldn't get in for the Brahmas, which is why they lost. Bad mojo. Bad mojo. You keep the goats on the bench, that's why you lose. And the Battlehawks won 18-15. I didn't watch any other games this weekend, but the XFL, it seemed more competent than the first time around, which is fine. There's some cool, like, people like the kickoff thing. People like the the scoring thing, the three-point, the one-two, three-point plays. But we'll see. We'll see if it, if it holds on. So, like, Paxton Lynch got benched this weekend. He was the quarterback for the Orlando Guardians. Houston dominated as they did the last time the XFL was a thing. They won 33-12. Luis the Dude Perez started for the Vipers as they lost to the Arlington Renegades 22-20. Then we had the D.C. Defenders, my D.C. Defenders that I did not get to watch because, again, I was playing board games. They won against the Seattle Sea Dragons 22-18. And Jordan Tayamu, interception in the game. Derek King came in and played, had two passes in the game. Ben DiNucci, two interceptions in the loss. Steven Montez came in the game as well. But, yeah. I'll try to watch a little bit more of the XFL this coming weekend. We got MLS opening weekend as well this week, so we'll talk about that a little bit more on Friday. But we'll get all that, again, we'll get all that on Friday. We'll get all that on Friday. But again, make sure you check out the LoganBlackmanShow.com as well as all the forms of social media that we, that we, you know, talked about earlier in the show. So make sure you go back to that and listen to that. Make sure to subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a rating out of five stars. I would greatly appreciate it. And I will see you guys later. Check out the mock draft again. Peace.